Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of sports, and we definitely want to get this conversation started. But we want to remind you to swing on over to ODPHpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on the social media accounts. They're all right there, along with the T Public link, so you can definitely go pick up some swag. Rumor has it might be a sale dropping this week. You mm. never know. Mm. And you can also check out the Patreon. One tier, $2, and a lot of content on the way. And definitely check out everything that's on the website. I could go into more detail, but you came to hear some sports, so who am I to say let's keep shilling the program, shall we? So for that being said, anything and everything you need from the ODPH can be found at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition of Sports Show, we have to recap one of the most puzzling weeks of pro football I think I've ever seen. These first two weeks have been utterly bizarre. You know, you had week one where everything was starting off, you know, like watching a small dogs race. You know how like they do a basketball game. It's like, oh, they mm-hmm. want the dogs race and half of them aren't even interested, you know, and then all of a sudden they care. You know, so you had a bunch of football games last week start where it was like snails pace. And then it was like, oh, we forgot to light the powder keg on fire. Boom. And then they all kick off. And then this week it was just comeback wins, bizarre performances, you know, record-breaking performances. And I know one thing we're not going to talk about, my fantasy football team. I'm down 100 points right now, so we're not going to talk about that. I think there's a select few people out there that had an amazing week in fantasy football. I think everybody else. Yeah, I'm playing one. Yeah, I think everybody else is uh, on to the next week. Yours truly included. Let's say my opponent between three players, Kyler Murray, uh, Tyreek Hill, and Aaron Jones had like 60 points by themselves. Yeah, it's a ridiculous way to look (sighs) at it for certain games. But as we do on every edition of the ODPH during the NFL season, we go over our locks and leaps to recap a deep dive first, and then we'll give you a breakdown of the rest of the league's action. So, Pad, kick us off. Uh, Yeah, so for my locks, I chose the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and the L.A. Rams. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs because, in my opinion, that was probably the better game. Yes. Uh, Took place on Thursday. It was the debut broadcast for the new new and improved Thursday Night Football on Amazon Prime with Al Michaels and then Kirk Herbstreit, which I got to say, they might be my favorite combo on TV right now. Obviously, Nansen Romo is probably number one. These guys are making a case for it, though. They're very, very solid. Yeah. But, Pat, you got the stats lined up? I do. Uh, Kansas City ended up winning by the final score of 27-24. to 24. Uh, Patrick Mahomes had 24 of 35 for 235 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, and then Justin Herbert had 33 of 48 for 334 yards passing, three touchdowns, one interception. Well, some things change, some things stay the same. The Chargers are the most puzzling team. Mm-hmm. In all of the NFL, every year you think this is the year. Yep. They're too loaded on offense. They're too loaded on defense. And yet they find ways to underperform when they need to outshine 
everybody. This is a situation where Kansas City, now granted, Kansas City was home. Kansas City is very, very tough at home. This is true. This was a situation the Chargers could have won. Should have won. Should have won and been a statement game. Yeah. Because obviously, as we've talked about many times on this podcast, the AFC West is the toughest division in all of football currently. Mm-hmm. There's, it's not up for debate. The NFC West is a, is a great second place, but there is a distinct drop-off. This was a situation where the Chargers really came out, set the tempo early, and were going blow for blow with the Chiefs. I mean, they even had them, I don't want to say on the ropes, but they had them rocked a little bit. I mean, because you look at uh, by halftime, it was 10-7 to 7 in favor of the Chargers. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is a Chargers team with, obviously, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, uh, J.C. Jackson was making his debut after missing the first week with an injury. Uh, you know, they've also got Kyle Van Oy, who's, listen, I know I'm a Patriot, but he's a former Patriot guy. Sure. Kyle Van is really good on defense. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is this is a vaunted, you know, Chargers defense, like you could say, where they went out and spent some money. It's like, all right, you know what? You should, you know, I don't think you're going to be locked down, shut down, you know, defense, but you should contend. You should contend, and especially if you're going to be a serious contender, you have to hang with the Chiefs because Patrick Mahomes is going to do Patrick Mahomes things. Yes, like, he is. There's no question about it. He is going to go and pull some magic out of somewhere that you're not expecting. And this was a situation that he was struggling in a little bit. Mm-hmm. This was not exactly the typical Patrick Mahomes. However, though, we go to the second half, and he yeah. flicks, he flicks the switch on. Well, he, he, in the fourth quarter, because you, you know, so as we mentioned, it's ten to seven after the halftime. After the third quarter, both teams scored seven points, so it's seventeen fourteen in favor of the Chargers. Uh, you know, but then you look at the fourth quarter, there was only one touchdown from the Chargers and 13 points from the Kansas City Chiefs. Right, but the one that was the nail in the coffin, so to speak, was the Jalen Watson yeah. interception, 99 yards yeah. for a touchdown. And especially how Justin Herbert had to protect the ball better that late, especially in the red zone. Yeah. I, and I'm sitting there watching, and I'm like, he's not a rookie, but that looked like a rookie mistake. And yeah, that almost, a little bit. And that almost looked like he was caught up in the moment and really just went had an out-of-body experience. Like yeah. that's, that's the only way I can describe it because they were out-punching the Chiefs in this one. Like They mm-hmm. were definitely setting the tempo. Mike Williams was having a fantastic game, and especially this is something for Charger fans they need to get excited about. Because oh, absolutely. Obviously with Keenan Allen out for a while, a lot of pressure is on Williams to step up. He, I thought he did a great job with that. But when you're ready to close on the Chiefs, your division rival, mm-hmm. you need to close. You need to protect the ball better. He didn't. And this is something, obviously, Herbert was a little banged up and obviously he has got some issues he's got to work through. Yeah, he's got, what is it, like a, a fractured rib cartilage. Yeah. So, obviously, he played through a lot of pain during that game. And the Chiefs, well, in my opinion, were throwing a lot of dirty shots. Yeah, I, I think obviously that one suplex or uh, spine buster from the WWE. Yeah, that was a spine buster. Yeah, that kind of says it all from what you're seeing from a rivalry. But then again, we always talk about division yeah. rivals step oh, up. Yeah. The Chiefs, I think, are feeling that they're getting looked over mm-hmm. and they're playing with a little chip on their shoulder. Obviously, with, without Tyreek Hill, it's a different offense, but you wouldn't really know because Patrick Mahomes is being smart. He's spreading the ball out. Yeah. He's getting more receivers involved. He's doing the little things that great quarterbacks do. Yes. So you have to give him his due. But he, this comes really down to late in the game, 
The Chargers could have iced it. They failed. Mm-hmm. And now you have to go, is this going to be the same old Chargers? Because for me, this was the same old Chargers. Yeah. Look great on paper, look great for three quarters, collapse in the fourth. Yeah, it, it's it's almost like, you know, they're playing an online match in Madden, you know, and then they're playing great for the first three quarters, and then the batteries died on their controller, and they didn't have any batteries in their house, mm-hmm. you know, and they had to go to the store, get more batteries, and by the time, you know, they got back from the store with the batteries, you know, the game was already over. Exactly. And especially if you tell me that they shut Travis Kelsey down to 50 yards receiving. I'll say, yeah, without telling me the score, if I hear that stat alone, I'm like, well, shit, you won. Yeah. Like, there's not even a question, but yet they found a way to lose. I'll say, yeah, and, and we should note Travis Kelsey was the leading receiver for all of Kansas City. Justin Watson was second with only two catches, 50 yards. Nicole Hardman, three catches, 49 yards. Clyde Edwards Hilaire, four catches, 44 yards. Uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling, two catches for 13 yards. Juju had three for 10. You know, and the only person, uh, only two people with the touchdowns were Justin Watson and then Jarek McKinnon. Yeah, so this was not a great game for Mahomes, but he found a way to win. Or should I say the defense really kind of iced everything? Yeah. I mean, that comes down to them. And, I mean, obviously, Jalen Watson had the breakout moment. And according to CBS Sports, they had a great story behind this, too. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure if you heard about this. So they posted he was a star junior college player, to quote, Decommit or committed to USC in 2019, decommitted after academic issues, worked at Wendy's while getting his grades up, enrolled in Washington State, drafted seventh round by the Chiefs in 2022, and then gets that game changing 20 or 99 yard uh, TD interception. And especially that's so that's awesome because you know, seventh round pick, you're not usually expected to make the roster or let alone even start a game this early in the season. You might show up later in the year with like injuries or certain stuff like that, but like. Seventh round this early. Good for him. Yeah, exactly. The story is on CBS Sports on Facebook, so definitely go check it out. I, I was sitting there watching. I'm like, that's amazing, too. That's awesome. Because, yeah, it's a great story. And listen, the fact that you get that chance to shine in there, Yeah, he went ahead and did it. So he iced the Chargers. Now the question is, where are we going from here next, Pat? Uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see because the L.A. Chargers – in theory, have an easier game next week uh, because they are at home playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, currently, the Chargers are favored by seven points. Uh, and looking at the injury report, because it's of note, we mentioned the Justin Herbert injury. He's currently listed as questionable as of uh, the uh, September 16th, according to uh, the, the game preview on ESPN.com. Uh, so we'll see what goes on with that. And the whole Herbert injury thing is going to be even more interesting to see uh, simply because the story came out uh, just yesterday as we record where the doctor who was overseeing who was overseeing Justin Herbert is also being sued by Tyrod Taylor for malpractice. Oh, the punctured lung issue? Yeah, so reading from an article on BleacherReport.com, it says, quote, Quarterback's Tyrod, quarterback Tyrod Taylor filed a malpractice lawsuit against Los Angeles Chargers team doctor David S. Gazinga uh, after suffering a punctured lung in Gazinga's care during the 2020 season. ESPN's Chris Mortensen and Adam Schefter reported Taylor filed the suit and is seeking at least $5 million for lost wages. So that's going to be something to keep your eye out on. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, And then over on the Kansas City Chiefs side, uh, opening up their page and seeing who they got this coming week. Uh, Let the page load. Doing it live here, folks. Taking forever. There we go. Uh, Oh, that'll be interesting. Uh, They are on the road in Indianapolis to play the Colts. That's a very winnable game. Especially right now. Oh, my God, the Colts. 
We'll get that in the quick recap uh, to close the segment out, but the Colts are reeling right now. The yeah. most boring team in football still has not woken up to play this year. Uh, the line is currently Kansas City by 6.5. Yo, that is wild. But it's how the football game goes because obviously we had a high-scoring game on Thursday night. Then we go to my lock, mm-hmm. which really wasn't that great of a lock because, well, I had L.A. with you two. Yep. But I'm going to talk about the other game. Okay. And we're going to talk about Detroit and Washington. Oh, yeah. Because this game we won't spend a lot of time on. But the Detroit Lions might be for real. They might be. But they might have a lot of other issues going on. Pad, you got that score up? Yeah, so the Detroit Lions won by the final score of 36-27. to 27. Uh, Jared Goff, 20 of 34 for 256 yards passing. Four touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, Carson Wentz, 30 of 46 for 337 yards passing. Three touchdowns, one interception. Uh, of note, have a fucking game, why don't you? Amon Ross St. Brown, nine catches, 116 yards receiving, two touchdowns. Oof. And 68 yards rushing, too. He's a yeah. leading rushing, rusher, too. Like... Let me just break down the Lions here. I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but I think sure. this, this is noteworthy. The Lions have put up 35-plus points in two back-to-back games. Mm-hmm. Like, let that sink in. Might be finally turning around the curse of HBO Hard Knocks. I'm telling you, like, they really are doing some great things, and I'm going to say this right now. The big game-changer is Aiden Hutchinson, mm-hmm. their number one draft pick. That guy has really changed that culture of that defense. Yeah. Like, tremendously. Like, you watch him go in games, and he is absolutely lights-out fantastic. He set the pressure early. He was not afraid to go at some people. He definitely was putting the work in against Carson Wentz, who looked very, very uncomfortable the entire time. Yeah. So it was absolutely wild to see this go down for him. And for Detroit, this is so much of a win. You really have to say... Are we contenders? Are we the real deal? And I think you have to say, maybe. Maybe. It's it's an honest maybe. It it is the commanders after all. Bum, 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 bum. But they definitely put the pressure on early. The only thing I didn't like is they let the commanders get back in this game. Sure. But then again, a lot of other teams did on Sunday too. So, like, we have to take that in consideration. That Detroit, who's still finding their way, really set a good example and hung in there and won a very gritty game. Mm-hmm. The commanders are the commanders. Like, listen, we can sit there and rip on them all day, but... They've already met our expectations. Exactly. One win. One win. So congratulations. I hope you like the number one draft pick next year because that's probably all you're going to get. Carson Wentz definitely does not look like the Carson Wentz of old. Nope. He looked very, very shaky in the in the pocket. I understand he had three touchdowns, but I honestly consider most of that was garbage time. Well, and especially when's the last time Detroit has been known for a great secondary. Well, that's the thing. They have a lot of young talent on that side of the ball, but they're not good to go to great. Yeah. Like, they're very solid. Yeah. But I'm sitting there. I agree with you, Pat. It's not like you're sitting there going like, oh, this daunting defense. Yeah, you're not, you're not like, shit in your pants. Oh, my God, we're going up against the Detroit Lions secondary. Yeah, I mean, Hutchinson is the only person on that team that scares me. And watching him play, he is he's the real deal. Like, yeah. I am fully sold on him, and I think that he's somebody that's really come in and really going to change everything that's going on there if he has enough time and he gets some more weapons to work around because that defense could be something great with him if he's paired with the right person on that end. Yeah, he was causing absolute havoc. I mean, just in the stat line alone, which obviously there's more to it than just the stats, but the ones we can read, he had six total tackles, five of them were solo. He had three tackles, two of which were for loss. Yeah, and three sacks, I believe, too. Yeah. Like, it's he was the real deal. And that's one thing I really want to highlight, too, 
this is a great pick for the Lions. They need something. They need a great spark. Could this be what they need to finally get in the right direction? I believe so. I'm not going to call them that they're going to obviously run crazy in the playoffs. No, but I could see them sneaking in there. Like, I feel more confident about that pick that we made in the preseason show. Yeah. That I think that, yeah, Detroit might be the real deal. I mean, they're one and one right now, which, you know, I would say it's two good games for them. Obviously, they lost their their opener against the Eagles, but that was 38-35 against the team, which I think, you, unless you're in the state of Texas, you know, or a Cowboys fan, most folks have picked the Eagles to win the NFC East, mm-hmm. you know, sure. so... You know, they only lost by three points to the Eagles, and then they beat the uh, Washington Commanders. The interesting test will be the next three weeks because uh, this coming week they're going up to Minnesota to play the Vikings. Uh, The week after, they're at home against the Seahawks. And then on October 9th, so week five, they're on the road going up to New England to play the Patriots. Yeah, so interesting times to be had. But for Washington, nothing really to write home about. I mean, they showed up. They almost won it. Uh, I'll give give them that, but I think that just goes to – how they did not give up. And I'll, I'll applaud them. They at least showed up and really tried finishing the game strong. But Detroit, this was their day. Mm-hmm. They set that tempo early. Like I said, it was 22 nothing at halftime. Yeah. That's a big deal. It's just a matter of this team really needs to keep progressing forward. They have the, the weapons on offense to do it. Jared Goff never really been sold on him, but this was a great game for him. He needs to take this momentum and capitalize yeah. on it. Yeah. And then taking a look at their schedule coming up, I mean – they're going to be tested. It's not exactly going to be a walk in the park by no. any means, and especially with Green Bay looking like Green Bay of old, oh. obviously from last night, but we'll get to that a little later. They're going to be a team that you're going to have to sit here and go, okay, what are we going to get each week? And obviously they got a lot of questions, Pat. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking with the lines. I mentioned the three games they were uh, had coming up. They got a bye week super early, week six. Uh, after that they played Dallas, Miami, Green Bay, Chicago, the Giants, the Bills, uh, the Jaguars, the Vikings, the Jets, Carolina, Chicago, and then uh, Green Bay to close out the year. It's an interesting time in Detroit, but listen, if you're a Lions fan, you got to be ecstatic about this. I know our guy Casey from the Nerdy Photographer Podcast has got to be going absolutely wild about this. But it's still early, but take the wins where you get it. And for Washington, well, thanks for playing. Yeah. So, Pad, we did our locks. Now let's go to your leaps. Yeah, so for my leaps, I chose the Washington Commanders. Whoops. Uh, And then the Miami Dolphins, which, hey, I got that one right. Uh, The Miami Dolphins ended up winning by the final score of 42-38. to Tua Togavaloa, 36 of 50 for 469 yards passing, six touchdowns, two interceptions. He ties a franchise record for touchdowns in a game. Uh, And then Lamar Jackson... 21 of 29 for 318 yards passing, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Should also note uh, Lamar had nine carries for 119 yards rushing, one touchdown, uh, which this game, I forget the exact number, but he broke the record set by Michael Vick for most 100-yard rushing games by a quarterback. This game blew my mind. Yeah, we should just note, uh, at halftime, it was 28-7 to in favor of Baltimore. At one point, it was 35-14. to 14. Yeah. Take that in consideration. It's pretty much a done deal and guaranteed. Yeah. We turned off the game where we were watching. Like, I was with Rich from 3FN and, and our usual crew that we yeah. watch with. Yeah, we turned off. Yeah, because like even the like the win probability meter on most sites would probably read something close to 99.9%. Well, if you watch that game as it came out, Baltimore ran back the opening kickoff. Uh, 103 yards, yeah. Yeah, so they set the tempo early. They looked like the Baltimore old. Tua did not look good in that first half. Mm-hmm. Really didn't. Yeah. 
And Baltimore was playing Baltimore football. I mean, they were bending but not breaking on defense. Like, they're not the shutdown defense of old. Like, we have to right. consider that. But between Bateman and Duvernay, that's been Lamar Jackson's go-to receivers. They were having a field day. Well, and especially Mark Andrews. Uh, so, Bateman had 108 yards on four catches, one touchdown. Andrews had 104 yards on nine catches, one touchdown. And then Duvernay had 42 yards catching. Yeah, like, they were picking apart the Miami defense. So I think it's a situation where Baltimore literally took the foot off the gas. Could be. Because Could be. they were not doing anything worthwhile. And it's not like Tua was looking that great until the fourth quarter. Right, and especially, I mean, you just look at the box score. So Miami had no points in the first, seven points in the second, seven points in the third. You're looking, and, you, and meanwhile, you've got, you know, 35. Mm-hmm. You're looking at this going, oh, shit, we've held them in check. Obviously, you know, two blip. You know, blip on the radar touchdowns, but like we're holding them down, we're beating the shit out of them. All right, we can we can coast on this. Yeah, I mean, and then you can't. I mean, that's one thing in the NFL we always kind of forget. There is no such thing as a guaranteed win. Nope. And Just as, ask the uh, Atlanta Falcons. Exactly. And I will tell you this: as much as I hate Miami, and this is very well documented, this is true. They, this is a, a great win for him. This is a great win for Tua. This showed a little. A little swagger. Sure. Because obviously he needs to develop that. And if he's going to be the guy in Miami, this is something that he needs to rally around, much like Goff did against Washington. Well, and it's good for him because what was our one criticism, you know, his rookie year when it was him and Fitzpatrick down there? They didn't trust him enough. And they brought in Fitzpatrick as their closer. They even admitted it. You know, they didn't say they didn't trust him, but they, you know, oh yeah, you know, we're gonna bring in, you know, if we have to, we bring we have to bring in Fitzmagic or Fitzpatrick as our closer. You know, and that was our one criticism with the guys. Like, hey, if you're gonna trust the kid, trust him for all four quarters. Well, they did, and he was able to lead a comeback and the game, which is able to show you, hey, he can do it. Yeah, so this is something, especially against a Baltimore team that really should have won this game. Absolutely. This is I'm not gonna say backbreaking, but this is a terrible loss. It's a reality check for Baltimore, that's for sure. Uh-huh. This is something that they could not afford to do. This mm-hmm. is a situation that they needed to win this game outright. Miami has always had their number for some reason, for the most part. Like, yeah. Remember, during the greatest Miami Dolphins season of all time, this was their one win. Yeah. So. Yeah. The- well, and especially for Baltimore, this this just goes to show that, like, with the way things are playing out, you know, Cincinnati being 0-2, and we'll get to them. But then you've got, you know, the Browns who suspect it best, you know, because yeah. they don't have Deshaun. And then Pittsburgh, you know, suspect it best. You would think that, like, okay, this is a good reality check for them. They're like, hey, you might think, even and this is me talking to the Ravens players, you might think, like, oh, yeah, we're a shoo-in for the division win just because of the way things are playing out with the other teams. Ain't nothing guaranteed except death and taxes. Facts. Absolutely facts. So for Baltimore, it's back to the drawing board. I think they're going to bounce back next week big time. And for the Dolphins, oh shit! You, like I say, I, I'm struggling to find the words to articulate right now because I don't think anybody had them two and zero and being first place in the division. No, and unless I'm, you're in South Beach, yeah, exactly. Or unless you're, you know, one of the very few real Miami fans out there. There are some. Yeah, there are. There's some. Very few. I do know a couple of them. I'm not going to give you a shout out on here, but I'm going to say this. Miami definitely set a good example of what they're capable of. Yeah. I know next week is going to be the real test. Uh, They're playing the Buffalo Bills in Miami. Uh, and Currently, as we record, Buffalo is favored by four points. 
Yeah, which is a little crazy out the gate, but how the Vegas line goes, I'm not super shocked at that. No. But I think that it's all going to come down to whatever happens with the Bills as we're recording on Monday. Right, because you you got to figure it probably opened up at 3. You know, you know, yeah. opened up at three customary. It's it's a home game for Miami. Sure. And then it probably swung that one extra point based off of, you know, the record setting performances from Tua on, you know, on top of we didn't even mention 190 yards from Tyreek Hill, 171 yards from Jalen Waddle. Mike uh, Gusecki had 41 yards receiving, you know, so that prop that performance probably took a lot of people to throw some money, not a ton, but throw some money on on Miami to, or Buffalo to get swing it the other way. Well, that's the one thing. It's for Buffalo. Everybody's really very high on them, and rightfully so. I'm not going to deny that as a Bills fan, but I think everybody needs to kind of temper the expectations because when the Bills are going to go to Miami, this is going to be a real test for both teams. Yeah, and not saying Tennessee is going to be an easy test for the Bills tonight. It's going to be a real challenge for the Bills because if the Bills can't stop the run, they're going to have to win in a shootout. Mm-hmm. I will take them winning in a shootout against Tannehill all day, every day. I would too. The question is going to be this. You have Waddle and you have Hill in Miami. Yes. All they got to do is run slant routes because a lot of those yards that they were catching were slant routes. If the Bills can can clog up the middle, you're going to really challenge Tua. If you can slow those two guys down, mm-hmm. I think the Bills have more firepower they're going to be having a real good day on Sunday when that matchup happens. Yeah. But it all depends on those factors. If they can stop the slant routes, they'll be fine. Right. If they can't, Tyreek Hill has always had the field day with the Bills. I mean, this has been well documented when he was in Kansas City. Two is definitely not the same as Patrick Mahomes. I don't care after one week. I'm not ready to anoint no. him as the next coming of Patrick Mahomes. He, he looks good, but everybody looks good at least one week out of the year. Exactly. So now we're going to see what the Dolphins are really made of, but for having an amazing fourth quarter, this is something that Tua especially needs to really celebrate. Yeah. Now can you duplicate that magic moving forward? That's the real question. Yeah, because they got some interesting games coming up. We mentioned the Buffalo game. Miami's also got Cincinnati, the Jets, uh, Vikings, and then Steelers. You know, And then in, uh, after their bye week, week 11, they've got a couple interesting teams. They've got the San Francisco 49ers, Chargers, Buffalo again, Green Bay, New England, all in a straight stretch. Yeah, so, that so, means, that, so that'll be interesting. And, and Baltimore, I think they can bounce back. It'll be interesting, though, because they do not have any next easy two weeks because this coming Sunday they're on the road in New England, uh, and then the week after that they're at home against the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, it's going to be a definitely tough for them. But I'd, like I said, I think we'll have a better performance out of them overall. Yeah. I think that's one thing that Baltimore will take away because they're absolutely getting roasted right now by the sports media. And rightfully so. Oh, understandably so. I, and for a team that's supposed to be known for defense and, and the crust and this and that, to blow that big of a lead, yikes. Yeah, it's unacceptable on all fronts. So definitely an interesting time to be a, a fan of the Dolphins. Yeah. And especially you got a lot of momentum going in next week, so congratulations. But you know I'm going to talk a lot of trash going on well, of course. <laughs> in the meantime. As you should. Yes. But speaking of talking trash. Your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy, is not in studio. This is true. Because if he was, he'd be talking about my leap mm-hmm. and how I made an egregious pick and how he's already punching his ticket for the Super Bowl Yeah, as the New York Giants mm-hmm. are still 2-0 and had a gritty win against 
the Carolina Panthers. Pad, you got the stats? Well, and, and fun fact, uh, the both of the Mets, Yankees, Jets, and Giants all won on Sunday, which was the first time all four teams have won on the same day since September 27th, 2009. I was going to say, that hasn't happened in a long-ass it's time. It's a long-ass time. Uh, but, yeah, the Giants won by the final score of 19-16. to 16. Uh, Danny Dimes, uh, 22 of 34, 176 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. Baker Mayfield, 14 of 29, 145 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. Uh, rushing side, you had Saquon Barkley, 21 of seven for 72 yards, uh, no touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey, maybe showing glimpses of his old self. Uh, 15 carries, 102 yards uh, receiving. You had DJ Moore get three catches, 43 yards as your leading receiver. Uh, and then on the Giants side, Richie James. Who? Who? Exactly. Five catches, 51 yards was your leading receiver. In the words of George St. Pierre, I am not impressed by your performance. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. The Giants did not impress me here, and the Carolina Panthers sure as hell didn't impress me. They might be the worst team in football. They might be. Legitimately. Baker Mayfield is a shell of his old self. Boy, so much for us thinking you know, a change of scenery would help the guy. No, it's a wrap. I'm sorry. Two games in, I'll already say it. He does not have the fire in him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have that edge that he used to have, the I'm feeling dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, remember that, Baker? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not having that right now. And I'm sorry, they're struggling to really connect on offense. His wide receivers look so out of sync with him. Robbie Anderson looks definitely checked out, in uh, my opinion. Three catches, 32 yards, no touchdowns. Yeah, like they're definitely not in sync. And, you know, obviously. And he, he was only targeted five times. Yeah. And you knew in the preseason, obviously, there was a little drama there, too. Sure. You know, he was not exactly happy sure. Baker was coming, but sure. you'd figure they'd get down to business. But I'm sorry, in my opinion, that's how it's looking to me. Like that they're definitely not on the same page. And then you take a look at the Giants. Mm hmm. And they win ugly. Yeah, I will say, you know, everyone's screaming two and zero and celebrating two and zero, and you should understandably so. Oh, hey, yeah. you know, hey, it's it's two wins, but arguably the one of the first one was luck, mm-hmm. if anything, or bad luck, depending on how you look at it, with the missed field goal uh, by Tennessee at the end of the game. Then you had this game where you eked it out, you know. So it, it's two wins early, but you know this could be a case, and I'm and I don't know if it will. I don't know if it won't. I'm not Nostradamus, mm-hmm. but remember what was it? The Denver Broncos last year that started three and zero. Yep. But then by week four it was like, hey, yeah, they're three and zero, and everyone's singing the Denver Bronco praises. But their their opponents were combined zero and nine. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens with you know the Giants going forward. Is it a good tone early? Yeah. But can you keep it consistent throughout the remainder of the season? That's what will be determined. Because let's face it, you're playing two teams that, you know, the Panthers, I would say, maybe you're on your level, maybe a little bit lower. You know, you, you think about it. I'd say lower, to be honest with and you. And then you got Tennessee, which I would say is on the same level as them. They have Tannehill, who I would say is better than Danny Dimes, which ain't saying much. Yeah, I'll give you that. You've got, you know, you know kind of equal running backs between Der- – obviously Derrick Henry is better, but Saquon Barkley, if he's healthy, I think can be as good as uh, Derrick Henry. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a Penn State guy. You know, but then also you look at the receiver course. Receiving core for neither one of these teams is anything special. They're they're not anything, you know, in terms of, you know, with with the, with the re- these receivers. There's no sizzle. There's no sizzle. There's, there's nobody that you're looking at this going – yeah, I need this guy for, you know, the bye weeks of my two or three receivers in fantasy. Sorry, I'm not. No, I can't get behind this either. I mean, I think that what Dabble in the front office is doing, I will give them credit at least. They're getting the team ready for Sunday, and the team is showing up. Sure. So I, I will give them the, that credit. But what we all need to remember is 
Obviously, they came from Buffalo. Mm-hmm. The structure up there is a little different. The talent level is very different. Yeah. You're pulling some magic off right now against bad teams. And, you know, kudos to you. You're winning gritty. You're winning ugly. You just got to win, baby. That's we'll the the uh, two teams you've played are combined 0-3, and, and that's simply because the Titans haven't played yet. Exactly. And we don't know what we're going to get out of the Titans. The Titans have been a very disappointing team thus far. I mean, it's one game, but that was one game that we all were anointing them as contenders. Right. And they absolutely dropped the ball. So, I mean, if they go 0-2, you can kind of have that argument. But for yeah. the Giants, you're pulling off ugly wins. Your defense is playing very solid. Mm-hmm. Not great, but solid. Yeah. And your offense is really – I'm sorry. If Danny Dimes is only throwing a buck 76, that's nothing to be writing home about. Yeah, I mean, especially with a Carolina defense that, like, sorry, I'm looking at the names for guys who got stats on this defense. Nobody's jumping out at me. You know, Xavier Woods is there, you know, but that's mainly because I know him from his days in, what was it, Minnesota mm-hmm. or something like that, you know, so I know, okay, he's there. I, I recognize the name. But there's nobody on that team where I'm going, holy shit, they got that guy. They got to watch out for that guy come, come Sunday, Monday, Thursday, whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, that's the situation there. The Carolina doesn't scare you, but then the Giants really don't either. I mean, you know, Saquon, no. Saquon Barkley at least looks very comfortable in his yeah. role right now. Yeah. And obviously with 20-plus carries, yeah, that's what you need to do to win to control the tempo. But you're seeing that they're not putting up a ton of points no, either. they're not. In both games that they've won, it's been right around 2021. Yeah, so, they, so the Giants beat the Tennessee Titans 21-20, and then they beat Carolina, as I mentioned, 19-16. Yeah, so if you're doing this against bad teams, how are you supposed to do this against a good defense? Which is going to be interesting because I'm looking at their schedule. This ain't going to get any easier, folks. Giants fans, you might want to avert your eyes. So this coming Sunday, or excuse me, this coming Monday, uh, next week, they are at home against the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, boy. Mm. After that, they play the Chicago Bears, who looking all right. They're, they're showing some glimpses. Then they've got the Green Bay Packers, Baltimore Ravens, Jacksonville Jaguars, and Seattle Seahawks. It's an interesting time. To be a Giants fan, I got to say. And, oh, by the way, if you're sitting there, so I'll even go to their bye week. So after their Seattle game is their bye week, you might have noticed something when you're reading off those lists. Only one divisional game is in that whole lineup. Uh, Even, you know, week one, typically the divisional game week one. There's only one divisional game that first stretch until the bye week I mentioned, and that's this coming Sunday, coming Monday against Dallas. They've got the entirety of their divisional stretch after the bye week. Week 12, Dallas. 13, Washington. 14, Philly. 15, Washington again. Minnesota, week 16. Indianapolis, week 17. Week 18 is Philly. That's wild. Like I say, I know I'm using the word interesting a lot, but that's an easy way to describe the season thus far. Yeah. And for the Giants, I will say this. If. They beat Dallas next week by more than five. You got to consider them real contenders. I don't think they will. I don't think they will either. I, I think that up until yesterday, I thought I think there will. I thought there was a shot just mm-hmm. because Dak is out. You got Cooper Rush coming in, and you don't know what you're going to get out of him. And we'll get to that game. But based off of Dallas's play on Sunday and the way Cooper Rush looked in that game, now I'm not going to say he's going to blow the Giants up. I double digits no but i think it i don't think it's as easy a win for the giants as i might have previously thought no i agree with you and i think the the giants are really going to struggle like this is going to be a, a real test for them mm-hmm. and i think the dallas is going to win this outright to be honest with you oh yeah but if the giants win by over five that's that's my point spread i'm going to give 
the Giants, I'm going to say Dallas is favored by five to do my official. But if the, if if you flip it and say the Giants can score more than five points against them and go and win like a 28 to 23, 22, then you got to really take them as serious. Because for what they need to do to win the NFC least, that's enough. Uh, looking at the line, the line as we record is currently the Giants by two and a half. Oh, my God. And it's, well, at, and it's at home. Well, well I... Ooh. <laughs> I think I know what I'm taking for my leap, but we'll talk about that a little later in the show. But it's an interesting, like I say, it's an interesting predicament that the Giants are in. Like mm-hmm. I say, I know I keep going to that word, but that's the only way you can describe it because it's puzzling and mind-blowing at the same time mm-hmm. that the Giants have actually been able to put together some wins, especially with the lack of talent they have on the side of the ball. Like, they're good, they're taking steps in the right direction. Yeah. But to come out the gate 0-2, that's more than we thought they were going to do. 2-0, you mean? Or t- yeah, I'm sorry. See, like I said, I had already had programmed in my head they were going to be 0-2. But to be 2-0, and that's a huge win, and that's yeah. something that they yeah. need to take moving forward. If they can pull off three, we got something to talk about. Yeah, and then for the Panthers, uh, sorry, Panthers fans, it ain't going to get any easier uh, because this coming Sunday they have the New Orleans Saints, and then they have Arizona, San Francisco, the Rams, Tampa Bay, and then Atlanta. New Orleans is a winnable game, but if they don't pull that off, yeah, they're going to go on a winless streak. Mark my words. Mm-hmm. New Orleans is is a rival game that they could definitely swing because I'm not super impressed with them either. But we'll have to see how the ball bounces when we get there. Yeah. So, Pad, let's go take a roundup around the league. Yeah. Uh, going over some of the rest of the games, Patriots beat the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers by a final score of 17-14. to 14. Holy shit, that fucking moss catch that uh, – or who the hell was it? Uh, that Whoever the hell it was, I forget now, had on the Steelers defender. Hell of a catch. Hell of a gutsy win uh, by the Patriots. Nice bounce back win. You know, Mac Jones, 252 yards passing, one touchdown. Damian Harris finally showing up. Uh, 71. It was the Aguilar. There we go. Yeah, Nelson Aguilar. Nelson Aguilar, 110 yards catching, six catches, one touchdown. Hell of a uh, look for the Patriots. Finally bounce back, get that win. Uh, going to be interesting uh, this coming uh, Sunday against the Baltimore Ravens, though, because Baltimore, you know, is going to want to prove, hey, we are legit and not the frauds we uh, you think we are. Yeah, I, th- I definitely think this is a great win for New England. They definitely needed to do this. Uh, Maserati did not have a great game, uh, 21 for 33, buck 68, yeah. and one touchdown, one interception. But they hung in there, and this is kind of – I think this team – both these teams are very equal. Mm-hmm. So I think this was a, a fair matchup. Yeah. But for the Steelers, if they could have snuck this one, that would have been huge. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, not the case. Nope. Uh, you had the New York Jets beat to the Cleveland Browns by the final score of 31-30. to uh, This one also a game of a comeback because it, at halftime it was 14-14. to uh, and then it was 17-14 after the third quarter. And then, you know, they decided to stop playing defense uh, because you had the Jets pull off 17 points and the Browns pull off 13 points. Uh, Joe, Joe Flacco also, I think, is like only one or two losses against the Cleveland Browns all-time in his career. Uh, yeah. So, fun fact, if you're in Vegas, hammer that pit, that bet next time. The the simple fact that the Jets hung in there and won this and got the onside kickback late. Well, it's, it's the Joe Flacco effect. Yeah, like also, it's, also it's the curse of the Browns bringing back Brownie the Elf. Yeah. Oh my God. I, you, I, that is a team with just such an identity crisis mm-hmm. that, like, because you think about it, they're they put a, an elf on their fifty yard line. Their end zone is known as the Dog Pound. You know, they're the Cleveland Browns, mm-hmm. but yet their primary color is orange. That team just doesn't know what the hell they're doing. Yeah, like I say, it's. 
it's something with Cleveland that is just it's a Cleveland thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the easiest way to describe it. Mm-hmm. But they had this game in their hands. It was a big win if they could have snuck this one. But unfortunately, they let the Jets hang in there, and Joe Flacco did Joe Flacco things. Yeah, he did. He loves playing the Browns. It is true. Uh, looking at some of the other games, you had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win by the final score of 20-10. to 10. Uh, t- uh, Decent game. Tom Brady, a little pissed off if you saw the highlights. Also, uh, as we recorded, it has been announced that Mike Evans, for his actions on Sunday in the fight with uh, Marcus Lattimore, will be suspended for their upcoming game this uh, next week. God damn it, I have him on my football, on my fantasy team. I'll Not, survive. Yeah, but you know what? He ran off the field and to go get him because somebody tried flexing on Tom. Yeah. And oh, I think it was Lattimore. Uh, yeah, Lattimore came right in Tom Brady's face, and I will say this, Fournette and Mike Evans came flying out of nowhere. Well, of course. You know, you see that anytime on the football field, you know, sticking up for a teammate. But I like, but I agree with what Terry Bradshaw said on the Fox broadcast after the after the early games was over and they were, you know, cuz in between the games they go over the highlights this and that. Sure. And I and I caught what Terry Bradshaw said. They were showing the highlight, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, Tom. Uh, Tom was jawing back and forth with Vladimir, but like a guy of Tom's stature and been as long as it as he is, should have just walked away. He should have. But you know what? It's just the heat of the moment. But Tom is not going to sit there and take that. Tom can just whip out Super Bowl rings and say what. Well, and I think that was just a case of Tom emotions getting out because I mean, you've all have probably seen the video of him throwing the tablet, screaming mm-hmm. at folks because entering the fourth quarter, this game was tied at three points apiece. Yeah, this was. Not a, t- a game for offense until the fourth quarter where Tom remembered, all right, I'm Tom Brady. Yeah, this is a situation that Tom Brady just decided to flick a switch on and and got down to business. And, you know, this is a big win for them. Yeah. And for New Orleans, like I say, this is how Carolina could beat them because they did not impress me Could've at been. all. Uh, you had the Jacksonville Jaguars beat the Indianapolis Colts by the final score of 24 to nothing. Uh, if I'm a Jonathan Taylor uh, fantasy owner, I'd be a little concerned right now. Yeah, I'm definitely not happy about this at all. Nine carries, 54 yards. I think at one point, I forget who the other person was. I think it might oh, Saquon. Mm. That one point during the Sunday early games, Jonathan Taylor and Saquon Barkley had like a combined 11 yards rushing. Yeah, it was absolutely mind-blowing to see. Like I say, it completely upset the balance of uh, the AFC South to, that, the, to the letter. That AFC South, I had the, there's the standings. That AFC South is just absolute garbage mm-hmm. because that entire division has one win, and that's the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, you have two teams with uh, so everybody else has a loss, and then you have two teams with a tie. Yeah, that that whole division is just garbage. I I'm gonna chalk this up to Sting did the promo. Oh, you know what? That on, might... a, on AEW he did yeah. the, he, he, on social media. There was a little like TikTok video that he did shouting him. He's like a Showtime. I think that got him fired up. So you might see more Sting down there. And we have to make note: the ninety million dollar man showed up. Christian Kirk, seventy eight yards. Two touchdowns. Hey, earn that paycheck. I know. It's absolutely wild to see, but for Indianapolis, uh, listen, they're in trouble. Yeah, they are. They're in big trouble. Jacksonville's playing with house money here, and they're looking better than expected. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah, because especially, you know, the Colts tying with the Houston Texans, which we all agreed the Texans are terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, losing to uh, Jacksonville, which 24, like losing to Jacksonville is never a good thing. You know, back-to-back number one draft picks, you know, not a good thing to lose to. But then it doesn't get any easier for them because looking ahead to their schedule, they've got Kansas City at home this week, Tennessee at home the following week. Then they've got Denver, Jacksonville again, Tennessee, the Commanders, Patriots, uh, Raiders, 
Eagles, Steelers, Dallas, and then their bye week in week 14. Yeah. Yikes. Scary times indeed. Yes, it is. Uh, and then you had the L.A. Rams beat the Atlanta Falcons by the final score of 31-27. to Garbage game. Yeah, it was. Absolute garbage game. The fact the Rams let them hang in there and put 17 on them in the fourth quarter. The Rams are not the team we thought they were. Yeah. I'm going to say that right now. Although I didn't know I should have started Matthew Stafford over Patrick Mahomes in fantasy. Yeah. Wouldn't have, wouldn't have made much of a difference. It would have helped a little, my ego a little bit. Well, the one thing is the Rams should have absolutely blown Atlanta out of the water. Like, uh-huh. this this should not have even been close. And you know what? Jalen Ramsey had a big touchdown, which iced the game. At the end of the day, like, listen, the Rams did what they needed to do. They're lucky they snuck out of there with one because if they went down 0-2, yeah. a lot of questions we have. But it was good to see Matt Stafford bounce back, obviously. Yeah. He needed that win, I think, more than anybody realized because especially how yeah. bad his arm yeah. looked against the Bills. Yeah. So the fact that he put up about 272 and three, take it as a win. Not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, sticking with the NFC West, uh, you had the San Francisco 49ers beat the Seattle Seahawks by the final score of 27-7, to although that is not the major story. The major story, obviously, is Trey Lance of the San Francisco 49ers going down with a leg injury, being carted off the field with his uh, leg in an air cast, uh, having surgery today as we record. I think he might have already had it based off the photo mm-hmm. I saw on social media, but it, it has been confirmed. It was confirmed yesterday. He's done for the year. So in steps Jimmy G, and now all of a sudden the San Francisco 49ers are looking like absolute geniuses for not trading him. John Lynch is a very, very underrated GM. And I think that he does not get enough credit. No, he does For being probably the best one in the league. Because the fact that the 49ers don't have household names mm-hmm. on their team, mm-hmm. but yet are putting together very solid games on both sides of the ball, and the fact that Lynch is not catering to the social media calls about trading or doing something wild with his right. team, it's a it's a testament it's to looking good now. It's a testament to how he does his business, and you know what? This is a great culture to build around for the 49ers. Jimmy G looked solid. Yeah, he looked I mean, all right. Granted, it's Seattle. In Seattle, we have to temper our expectations because obviously it's Seattle. Yeah, but. This is a solid win, and for Jimmy G moving forward, this is what they needed to do, especially in the in the second toughest division in all of the NFL. Yeah, I mean, it's looking real smart, although I got to say, hey, John Lynch, hi. Uh, you got a lovely stadium over there. What the hell's going on with George Kittle? I have drafted. He was my first t- uh, tight end draft pick. I have not been able to start him in fantasy because he's been out the two weeks. Yeah. Uh, but, no, you're right. He's looking like a genius because I dug up the Niners' depth chart. Uh, the Trey Lance is obviously now the third-string quarterback because, hey, he's out for the year. Uh, so currently their second-string quarterback is a gentleman by the name of Brock Purdy, who is a seventh-round draft pick out of this year from Iowa State. So, yeah, they're looking real good having a guy in there who knows the system. Yeah, so kudos to John Lynch. Kudos to the 49ers. Solid win right there. Absolutely. Uh, and then you had the Dallas Cowboys beat the Cincinnati Bengals by the final score of 27 to, or 20 to 17, excuse me. Uh, you know, driving the uh, Cooper Rush, driving the ball down the field late, setting them up for that field goal. Hell of a win for the Cowboys. The Super Bowl hangover is real. Oh, yeah, it is. Cincinnati does not look like the Cincinnati of old. No, they don't. It is. If you just look at the game footage from the Super Bowl, obviously before that fourth quarter, mm-hmm. and then they're like kind of like a highlights of their first two games. This is not the same team. No, day and night at difference. All. Day and night difference. They need to find a way to start winning and start looking like the AFC defending champs. They do not right now. I mean, because you let Cooper Rush, yeah, that's right, Cooper Rush, not Dak Prescott, mm-hmm. 
uh, give up uh, 235 yards passing. You know, you held Dallas rushing game in check. Ezekiel Elliott was your leading rusher, 53 yards for Dallas. But then your leading receiver for Dallas was Noah Brown, 91 yards. Listen. That's not exactly a household name unless you're in the state of Texas. Nope. Or unless you know the Cowboys like our guy Dre Driven. This is true. Dre Dre knows who Noah Brown is. So, Dre, shout out to you. Take this win. Although I'm, I'm admittedly waiting for a tweet from him as soon as he listens to this episode and hits this point in the episode where he goes, I don't know who the hell Noah Brown is. Yeah, I'm waiting on that tweet. We're waiting on that. We'll, when Dre gives us that tweet, we will make it our Instagram post. He's probably in the middle of typing it right now. Yes. But this is a situation for Dallas. Listen, it, it's a win you needed to get. Yeah, no, you, you especially with, you know, Dak being out a couple of weeks, you need to salvage some of these wins, you know. And this is a good one. This is a very good one. This is something they needed to do and obviously take some momentum to face the Giants next week. Like I say, if the Giants are favored, this is my leap for next week. I'll already mark the tape right now. I think Dallas can definitely win this. They're in the NFC least, so anything is possible. But if they can put 14 up on the defending AFC champs, Mm -hmm. listen – this team might be able to sneak out that division. Not saying Maybe. they're going to go Super Bowl, but they they might be able to sneak out the division because this was a solid win. Yeah, looking at the Cowboys' next couple of games, as we mentioned, they got the Giants on Monday night this coming week. Then they play the Commanders, the Rams, Eagles, Lions, and then the Bears before they got a bye week in Week 9. Uh, and then on the flip side, Cincinnati, yo, you better get your shit together because it don't get any easier, although admittedly it might next week. Uh, they play the Jets uh, in New York the next week. After that, they've got the Dolphins, Ravens, Saints, Falcons, Browns, and Panthers before mm. they've got a bye week in week 10. Yeah, I would definitely be hitting the panic button in Cincinnati. Uh, well, I wouldn't necessarily be hitting it, but like my hand's over it and it's real close. Yeah, no, I after what I've seen the past two games from Dicey. Yeah. Dicey at the best. Uh, then you had the Denver Broncos beat the Houston Texans by a final score of 16-9. to Yeah, that was expected. Yeah, nothing really right home about. I mean, Denver won. They, and, they did. And Houston is Houston. Enough said. Uh, and then as of this recording, game of the week, I would say, uh, between the Arizona Cardinals and the Las Vegas Raiders, where in overtime uh, you had the Cardinals win by the final score of 29-23. to 23. Holy shit. You know, this one is tough. The Raiders are a lot better than the Cardinals. This is true. And the problem, and I know Rich from 3FN can definitely chime in on this on Twitter, Derek Carr is what's going to make or break this season, and right now he's breaking. Mm-hmm. The fact that they could not muster up any points in that fourth quarter, yep. and the defense was so gassed by the end of that game that mm-hmm. when Kyler Murray finally got that two-point conversion late, yeah. there was nothing left in that tank. They they were uh, they were hovering on E mm-hmm. because you remember that drive you know, where they – Kyler's trying everything, you know, holding it out, making play action. He had the one pass that was a quick throw mm-hmm. that, like, he snapped and threw. He was trying everything, and and the Raiders were, like, barely holding on. But then there was that play, which reminded me of the – God, it gave me nightmares of freaking Eli Manning in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, mm-hmm. you know, where they had him dead to rights, and then he got out. And, and that was the moment I'm like, Arizona's going to win this because yeah. that was the moment where you could have hit Kyler – and won the game, but you didn't, and the defense was then gassed. Yeah, it was a situation that they needed ice it when they did. And even in overtime, too, they made the great stop. They got the ball back. Yeah. And the Raiders were driving, and then Renfro coughs it up. Yeah. And I know he had a bad game, too. 
it's a situation that the Raiders are definitely going to have to make some moves here. And mm-hmm. it, like, just you have to find ways to ice games. Yeah. You have to close strong. When you had the team on the ropes as they did, and you take a look at the fact that the Cardinals put up 16 points unanswered yeah. in the fourth quarter, that's a situation that, I'm sorry, your offense is good enough. You should have been able to run Josh Jacobs until mm-hmm. there was no time left on the clock. Yeah. The fact that it didn't happen... McDaniels is going to go through these growing pains, but the Raiders are going to have to really examine where we're going with Derek Carr. Yeah, I'll say that's well, the big problem. Oh, and to start for McDaniels, not exactly what you wanted to see. And then I believe I saw the stat also; it is the biggest uh, blown lead in uh, Raiders history. Oh, I believe it. And I mean that is it's, not. It's gonna, something to that effect. It's not going to fly. Like I said, when you're up twenty-three to seven. Yeah. Like yeah, especially with a team that good with all those weapons they have on offense. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a situation that McDaniels is smart enough as a coach. He'll be able to work something around, mm-hmm. but I think you have to start in the back of your head, maybe going, "Okay, we've given Derek Carr as much as we can give anybody." Right. The fact that you can't move the chains in the fourth quarter, and we're not talking about a great defense. Arizona has a good defense. Yeah, they're not, they're not as good as they used to be, but they're still decent. They still got JJ Watt. Exactly. I mean, they still have some players on there. But they're not the lights-out defense of, like, the 49ers. Mm-hmm. Or you think about teams like the Bills or even the L.A. Rams. Yeah. Or if you want to take a look at the Chargers in their own division, which the Chargers are lucky they got away with that win the week prior. Yeah. It's because Derek Carr was sloppy with the ball. Yeah. So you see the common denominator here. Don't write the Raiders off, but if I'm Josh McDaniels, I'm sitting down with Derek Carr saying, okay, what do we got to do to fix this? Well, and that's the interesting thing was because I was driving around on Sunday, you know, and I was listening to the the Cardinals broadcast on satellite radio. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I know the, the broadcasters there brought up was they were seeing a lot of the same offensive packages, like the scheming and the number of guys and all this and that, that they saw a week prior against the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I actually turned this, I actually switched to a different game on satellite radio just because by halftime it was, you know, it was like 20 to, it was like 20 to zero or something like that. It got out of hand quickly. And I'm like, all right, yeah, this game's over. Yeah. You know, so what's the difference? Like, did you change the schemes? Did you let, did you change what you were doing? Like it was working for you. And then all of a sudden you just went away from it. Well, I think they want to keep the, the defense on the toes, but I mean, it was just a situation. Don't, don't. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Like, yeah. like, what are you doing? Just ask the Atlanta Falcons about that. Exactly. So, Raiders got to do some fixing, and I think they will. I think they will bounce back from this. Um, they're too talented not to. But if Derek Carr is not the guy, they got to start thinking in the back of their heads, who are we going to go to next? Yeah, looking at their schedule, uh, they have the Tennessee Titans uh, on the road uh, this coming Sunday. After that, they've got the Broncos and then the Chiefs uh, before their bye week in week six. Yikes, that's early. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then on the flip side, you have the Arizona Cardinals, who this coming Sunday, holy shit, uh, play the L.A. Rams. Uh, Then they go on the road to play the Panthers, Eagles, Seahawks, Saints, Vikings, Seahawks again. Rams, uh, Niners, Chargers before their bye week in week 13. Yeah, so there's definitely not an easy road for them as well, especially they got to travel. So yeah. anything is possible in that NFC West. 
Uh, and then the final game of the uh, Sunday night was uh, between the Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears, where you have the Green Bay Packers win by the final score of 27-10. to 10. Aaron Jones having a fucking game, why don't you? 15 carries, 132 yards, one touchdown, uh, 19 of 25 for 234, two touchdowns, no interceptions from A.A. Ron Rodgers. Uh, Justin Fields really didn't do much, 7 for 11, uh, 70 yards, no touchdowns, one interception, primarily run base from the Bears. David Montgomery, 15 carries, 122 yards, no touchdowns. When you watch this game, and after that first quarter, did you think that Aaron went over to somebody on the Bears sideline and said, you guys had a good game? (laughs) Maybe. I honestly did, because I'm going... There is no way the Packers are losing at home to this Bears team. Shout out to uh, Lake Kobe Bryant. Uh-huh. I legit sat there and go, okay, Chicago's up early. Yep. But you've now awoken Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm, who, at home. Uh, and let's not forget Aaron Rodgers has a partial financial investment in the Chicago Bears. Yes. Allegedly. Allegedly. And he said, okay, hold my beer it's time to play. Hold my ayahuasca. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Exactly. Ayahuasca. Yeah. Whatever that crap is he's indulging in. Hold my ayahuasca and he, my coconut water. Yeah. He got back to business because he looked like a completely different quarterback of that second half to, or second quarter. To quote Jay-Z, allow me to reintroduce myself. Yes. And he showed up. This was Packers 101 right well, here. So yeah, because like, like, if you can't tell, it was 7-3 to three after the first quarter. And then the Packers came out and put up 21 unanswered points in the second quarter. Yeah. I mean, I will say this. The Bears' defense slowed them down in that third and fourth quarter. Yeah, say so, uh, three points from the Bears to Green Bay's none in the third quarter, uh, and then flop that uh, for the fourth quarter. Green Bay had three points, and Chicago had none. Yeah, for Justin Fields, I mean, that's a tough break, too, because the Packers' defense isn't that good either. No, they haven't been since maybe their Super Bowl run. Yeah, so the fact that you're struggling to put up 10 against them, pause for concern. Yeah, a little bit. But... You know, at the end of the day, it's just Aaron Rodgers doing Aaron Rodgers things, and we're all just here to see it, especially on Sunday night. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's where they put that game every year, and every year Aaron Rodgers does Aaron Rodgers things. Yep. Final thoughts on this week, Pat. Wild, wild Sunday, you know, all things considered. Happy the Patriots got a win, though. I was a little concerned starting on too, because then the uh, percent chances of making the playoffs go down even further. But the fact Patriots got a win, I'm happy. Listen, hey, I'm no Dolphins fan, but I will tip my hat to Tua. That is hella impressive. And the fact that you tie, you know, a, a franchise record six touchdowns in one game, fucking hell, that that's real impressive. I got to give you all the credit in the world, sir. Uh, but then just a lot of lot of interesting and in, in just goes to show, no lead is safe in the NFL. I have to agree with you. It was an interesting week to sum it up, and I know I said that a lot, but to say anything else is not really doing it justice. A lot of underdogs pulled out gutty wins. Teams that should not have even been close were putting up amazing stat lines. Miami, I'm looking at you as much as I hate to say it. Tua, you earned that win. So can you repeat that magic next week? Dallas, the challenge is thrown down. You took out the defending AFC champs. Can you take out the NFC least worst team? Well, second to worst team. And then... For the Raiders, can you fix everything? <laughs> For the Colts, are you contenders? Or are you pretenders? There's so many storylines we can go in with this. Let's take this off air, shall we? Hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts of week two of the NFL? Let's discuss, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
Calling all movie buffs, cinema lovers, and film fanatics, welcome to the Silver Screen Savers Podcast. I'm Michael Gallup. I'm Matt Sturdivant. And I'm Tyler Sukas. And we're a show for movie fans by movie fans. Every week, you can catch us discussing the world of cinema, including dissection of films both new and old, our takes on what's to come, career retrospectives of the most prolific names in the business, and much, much more. Listen in via your favorite podcasting apps, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and more. You can also join the discussion and leave suggestions for future content by writing to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com, following us at screensaverspod on both Instagram and Twitter, as well as liking us on Facebook at Silver Screen Savers Podcast. We'll see you at the cinema. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Time to talk a little pro wrestling. Hell yeah. So it has been one hell of a week for the WWE. Mm-hmm. And they caused a little bit of buzz by making a big announcement for a show that not a lot of people are going to be watching. Let's be honest about that. Yeah. So reading from an article on ESPN.com, uh, the article reads, quote, Logan Paul in just his second singles match in WWE will challenge the face of wrestling. Roman Reigns for the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship on November 5th in Rijia, Saudi Arabia at Crown Jewel. Uh, it was revealed Saturday at a news conference at a uh, news conference at Resorts World. Paul, 27, is a social media star who met Floyd Mayweather in a boxing exhibition uh, last June. He made his WWE debut at WrestleMania in April, a tag team victory alongside The Miz against the Mysterios. Paul then made his singles debut in August with a SummerSlam victory over The Miz and impressed with his ability to perform a, a variety of moves. Uh, quote, I can tell you this, everyone, everything he's done in the short period he's been with us, he's earned my respect. I don't give that easily, said WWE Hall of Famer Paul Triple H Levesque, the organization's chief content officer in charge of all creative. He's only had a few matches, but he's blown me away. Close quote. Not super shocked by this. No. But at the same time, very, very surprised. I think the one thing that fans need to realize, and if you're not familiar with, I mean, Logan Paul is a superstar social mm-hmm. media influencer. Like, we have to give him his credit there. Got a lot of followers on a lot of platforms. Exactly. So he does move the needle. Especially since his fight against Floyd Mayweather, as I mentioned, uh, reportedly drew in a million buys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever he does, he's going to bring an audience in with him. And for the WWE... It's a win-win because when they bring in celebrities, and mm-hmm. like I say, everybody has an opinion about Logan Paul. So if you love him or hate him, he's still somebody. Mm-hmm. When they bring in somebody like that, and if they can actually wrestle and show respect to the sport and what goes on with the business, yeah. they will do business with you multiple times. With Logan Paul, he looked like he was born to do this. Yeah, it was shocking how good he looked. And it's kind of crazy because if you know, if you ever listen to his podcast, I mean, he does fit into a WWE mentality. Yeah. I've actually listened to a couple episodes since okay. he's been in WWE. Okay. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. I mean, it's a little too – it's not my cup of Java, yeah, but, yeah, like, yeah. I can understand the draw that the sure. WWE has with him. Sure. And when he comes to the ring, he handles himself like a pro wrestler. Mm-hmm. His mic work, he has to kind of polish up just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit because he's too used to like going into his podcast yeah. voice yeah. instead of his wrestling voice. Yeah. But he's been given a role that many people would love to do that work in the WWE. You're working with the top draw in all of pro wrestling in Roman Reigns. Mm-hmm. 
what's going to be the most interesting point about this is the fact that they're going over to a the Saudi Arabia house show. I mean, that's what we call it here because it's not going to be something that is a typical pay-per-view. No, I mean, they had the first one, which was, you know, greatest Royal Rumble, you know, which had all the belts were defended and none of them changed hands. Mm-hmm. You know, the only things of note from that pay-per-view was the Titus O'Neil slip of infamy. And then you had uh, Brian Danielson, uh, you know, then Daniel Bryan beat Rey Mysterio's record for in-ring time for the Royal Rumble. Like, just for, like, not consecutively, but for just, like, one Royal Rumble. He, he was in there longer than Rey Mysterio was. You know, but past that, none of the matches they've ever had there have been particularly, uh, you know, memorable, except with the exception, I would say, of the Hell in a Cell one they did last year with, what was it, Rollins and Edge, I think is what it was. Who it was. Mm-hmm. I, I forget. That was, like, the only match that worth remembering from any of the shows they've ever done. Yeah, it's the only match worth a damn. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Those shows are an own spectacle of mm-hmm. itself. Like, yeah. they don't really tie into the major storylines that they do on WWE TV. Yeah. Because they don't really have the same audience that carries over. I mean, everybody watches on Peacock if you want to watch the shows. I've never been super impressed with them because, to me, they feel like a house show, which mm-hmm. is a non-televised event if anybody's not familiar with that. The only one I've watched was the last one, and that's just because it happened to fall on a day I had off. Past that, all the other ones were on days I was busy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I watched the last one and I didn't hate watching it. You know, I didn't regret watching it. Like, sure. oh, I, I wasted time. But, you know, I was telling people like, hey, if you want to watch it, you can. But if you don't, you're not missing much. Exactly. And the fact that they're booking Logan Paul for that, it's yeah. smart business because if they want to give viewership for this show, why not put him there? And guess what? The bar is set very low. He's not expected to win. Oh, hell no. But he'll be an entertaining character, and he'll hype it up on his social media. They'll do decent numbers. They'll probably do the greatest numbers they've ever done for Crown Jewel. Mm -hmm. And you know what? That's what WWE is looking for. And if, hypothetically, let's say they have a match of the year candidate. Right. Triple H will be more than happy to run that back later in the States Mm -hmm. without question. Right. I mean, like you said, we're not expecting a hell of a lot from this, you know, just because... It's now appearing that Roman's going to be holding the belt until at least the Royal Rumble, if not WrestleMania. Mm -hmm. Because looking at the schedule for pay-per-views they've got, the next one coming up in October is Extreme Rules, which it's been widely reported that Roman will not be at that show. Uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page, and the only match they've got on the Wikipedia page is Liv Morgan versus Ronda Rousey. Mm -hmm. After that is a Crown Jewel event, which we know Roman will be there. Hey, we're here talking about it. Afterwards is a uh, pay-per-view we'll talk about in just a minute. Uh, Then you've got day one uh, taking place on uh, January 1st, which nothing but announced for that. And then you've got the Royal Rumble. You know, so Roman's holding the belt at least through the end of the year. They're not doing TLC in December? No, this, uh, the December show. Wow. No, because uh, you've got uh, the Survivor Series taking place on November 26th, and then there's nothing in the month of December because you've got day one on January 1st. Surprising. Yeah. Very, very surprising. And then, and then after day one, you've got the Rumble. Yeah. But to go back to topic, though, this makes sense on so many different fronts, and obviously if Logan does step up to the challenge – I don't doubt them running this back in the States. They've got, like I said, as we record, you know, they've got a little over 40 days, you Mm -hmm. know, almost close to 50 days, you know, before this show takes place. So that's enough time for them to work together all behind the scenes, get stuff figured out, maybe even get Roman or Paul Heyman to help him with the mic work a little bit. You know, there's enough time. I think it'll be good, and I think Roman will certainly carry it. But am I sitting here expecting, you know, the world's greatest match of all time, that Dave Meltzer is going to give it 900 stars? No. You know, it's just... 
just another guy to feed to Roman and not burn a match between, you know, a, a Seth or a Owens or Drew or Carrion. You know, I, I think it's just another match to, you know, another guy for Roman to, to feed on. Yeah, it's going to make sense just to buy time because that's all that Roman's going to do like you touched upon it for, till WrestleMania. Then yeah. it's it's smart business for WWE. It's a win-win for everybody. And that's a huge media boost for them because this was the buzz on social media. Love it or hate it, wrestling fans. Mm-hmm. On Friday when it was announced and then Saturday carried over. So the WWE has been on a winning roll right now. Yeah. And then today as we're recording, well, they decided to drop another bombshell on us. Yes, I did. Reading from an article on WWE.com, quote, WWE today announced that Survivor Series will feature both men's and women's War Games matches. The premium live event branded WWE Survivor Series War Games will take place on Saturday, November 26th from the TD Garden in Boston. The news was first reported by David Shoemaker of The Ringer. Uh, this marks the first time in history that War Games matches will take place on a WWE branded event. The men's and women's Survivor Series War Games matches will feature teams of WWE superstars stepping inside a massive steel cage surrounding two rings. The match begins with one member from each team facing off before additional competitors are added every few minutes thereafter. Once all superstars have entered, War Games! A victory uh, can be attained via pinfall or submission. Uh, close quote. So Survivor Series get a little shot in the arm, in my opinion, by becoming Survivor Series. War Games! JVD, that's for you. Yes, JVD, that is all for you. I love the fact that they're going to do War Games because... It has been a staple of NXT takeovers Yes, in the Thanksgiving month. They've always had a takeover around Thanksgiving. Usually it's been sometimes been before, sometimes a little after. Now this year it is a little after. This year it's a little after. But it has always been a tradition for NXT. The fact that William Regal is no longer there. He's in AEW. Mm-hmm. The fact that Triple H is now back as the head of creative and now back in the fold of NXT. Right. To see them bring War Games to the main stage is huge. And this is actually making Survivor Series, which has lost a lot of luster Mm -hmm. over the past few years, a must-watch show. Because when they have War Games and whatever they want to do for it, it's going to be a fantastic match. It's often imitated. Never duplicated. Never really duplicated. I'm sorry. AEW does blood and guts, but it's it's not the same. Right. I don't know. The name throws it off, but then still they get very, very messy with it, too. It's just it's good in intention, but it's not good in execution. With Wolf Games, though, they're really going to take the time to set it up. I wouldn't doubt it's the bloodline versus it's somebody. Good, yeah, so it's, it's going to be bloodline versus somebody. Yeah, and then for the women's division... It could be damage control, maybe with Sasha and Naomi coming back against whatever faction they want to do to face them. Like, yeah. I could see something like that happening. Or if they really wanted to be creative, take it back a couple of years when it was Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT. Well, yeah, that was a good one. I mean, arguably the last. So the War Games or Survivor Series matches have gone through a couple of incarnations. I mean, there was for a lot of years, you know, the traditional, you know, five on five, six v six, whatever the hell it is. You know, five on five, you know, where it was team versus team. And they'd come up with a way The arguably, in my opinion, the last good one they did of that was in 2014, where it was, you know, team Cena versus the authority. Yeah. And you had Sting show up at the end for the first time ever in a WWE uh, event, you know, so that and, and after that, it like 
it's hard to follow up something as iconic as that because the authority was along for so much longer than any other authority figures, no pun intended, mm. you know, than what was used to. And, and you know, finally, because this whole stipulation, if you didn't watch, was all oh, the authority. It was Triple H and Stephanie, a bunch of their cronies. Seth Rollins was, you know, in there. You know, and it was, hey, you know, if Cena wins, you know, you're fought. You know, the authority's disbanded, you know, and then – but. If, if the authority wins, well, then all hell breaks loose. And to finally get the authority bro- broken up. Oh, my God, we were so excited. You know, and after that, it, it's hard to follow up something as good as that. And and it got a shot in the arm, you know, a couple of years later with, you know, the, the brand split. And then it was Raw versus SmackDown. You know, you had a good one with uh, back in 2017 where it was, you know, again, Team Raw versus SmackDown. But then you had uh, you had the general manager's as the quote-unquote team captains. Mm -hmm. So you had Kurt Angle, who was the general manager of Raw at the time, going up against uh, Shane McMahon, who was, you know, the performable uh, captain at the time. Because if I'm not mistaken, Brian Danielson was the general manager then, but obviously he couldn't wrestle. Right. Uh, and then, but then you had the the nutty thing of you know you had the the, the whole uh, Jason Jordan thing going on and oh he can't compete and blah 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 who are we gonna insert and then you have Triple H with the classic moment the you know the the fifth and final member of Team Raw is me yeah you know so holy shit you know you had that but then like you mentioned you know the last good one of the Survivor Series you know Brand versus Brand was in uh, twenty eight nineteen with Raw SmackDown and NXT yeah so it's been real lackluster since but. Now with all games coming back, <laughs> it's going to be so on point. So yeah. definitely a big win for WWE. But now the attention is shifting. Yes. Because AEW is getting set up for their big Grand Slam event. Now, if you're not familiar, AEW doesn't do pay-per-views every month. They do four a year, and then they kind of have special events throughout. They are doing Grand Slam at the Arthur Ashe Stadium. And this has been a very big show in the past for them, and they're definitely loading up the deck here mm-hmm. with a lot of storylines going on. We did a little more deep dive on 607TWS about it, but obviously the card is made up. John Moxley versus Brian Danielson for the world title. Pac versus Orange Cassidy for the All-Atlantic title. Claudio Castagnoli versus Chris Jericho for the Ring of Honor world title. The AEW world tag team titles are on the line as Swerve and Our Glory are stepping up to rematch. The acclaimed from All Out, which was a big match there, and then the women's interim world titles on the line with Tony Storm, Serena Deeb, Athena, and Britt Baker, DMD, all going at it. However, though today there was a big interview that went down that I think might have a little more implications going towards Grand Slam, Grand Slam, and the AEW in general, because over on Ariel Hawani's The MMA Hour, which you can find the full four-hour video on YouTube.com/slash MMA Fighting. Uh, the one, the only MJF was interviewed by Ariel Hawani. Now, if you want to go find the video, I mentioned it's youtube.com slash MMA fighting. Uh, MJF was the first guest he had and you won't have to go very far, scrub very far in the video to find him. But I did take some, I did take some notes, uh, from the interview and here are, so I didn't take down everything, but I took down a lot. Uh, so reading from this, uh, he did say that AEW ratings are up due to him. And that he did know that while he was gone, there was a uh, bit of a struggle uh, with with uh, ratings. But as soon as he came back, there was a pop. Uh, Ariel Hawani did bring up the, about the last interview that, according to reports, you know, PR was, you know, was upset, and they were they, they did it. They didn't clear it with him, and he did say PR was a little upset about the last interview. But now they salivate when he leaves his house. Hmm. Uh, he did say he's the biggest minute draw minute for minute in AW, and said, "quote Look up the numbers." Uh, brought up a certain person from Buffalo. That's all I'm going to say. 
Yeah. Uh, he said TK had, quote, no choice but to understand and deal with the fact that you want MJF on your show. You have to deal with MJF rules. That was in regards to, you know, oh, did he receive any pushback for wanting to do it? He goes, no, listen, you want me in your house, you're going to have to deal with my rules, and I'm going to do what I want. I uh, said he met no resistance for the interview. Uh, and obviously, a couple times throughout the interview, uh, the subject of his upcoming free agency, which is uh, January or February 2024, uh, you know, is coming up. He did say, you know, I might, you know, that I, you know I'd like to have that AEW title. You know, I got a chip uh, for a future match with that title. You know, I'm, I might use that uh, championship as a bargaining, bargaining chip. And, of course, the uh, Alundra Blaze moment did get brought up. They didn't specifically say... You know, oh, you're going to do an Alondra Blaze moment, but it got referenced. Hmm. See, that's very interesting because obviously MJF has been very outspoken about his contract status. And mm-hmm. when his contract comes up in 2024, mm-hmm. and I believe it's January. Yep. He said publicly, I'm going to go wherever they pay me the most money. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine the WWE is going to outbid a AEW completely. Uh, he said he came back with no contract extension. And then he said he had, he said he quote has Tony Khan quote by the balls. Uh, his words exactly. Well, you know, that's kind of interesting because if you watch AEW All Out, there was that little audio clip mm-hmm. that was Tony Khan talking to him. Yep. Maybe there's some substance there. Maybe there's not because that kind of alluded to no extension and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we get to the infamous uh, back in, what was it, May, the, that whole kerfuffle. Yes. Uh, you know, he did not confirm nor deny that there was a plane ticket uh, for him to leave the venue. Uh, and that he told uh, Tony Khan, like, hey, listen, pay up or daddy doesn't show up. He did detail what he was doing in his time off. He did take a two-week vacation with his then-girlfriend, now fiancé, which, hey, mazel tov to the happy Congratulations. couple. Congratulations. Uh, they were in Greece for two weeks, and then he said on the last three days he was in Italy. After that, for the entirety of his absence, he was at home. Didn't leave for one single solitary thing, not even to work out, because he's got a gym in his house. Uh, his reasoning, and you know what? I don't fault him on this. He said, if fans want to see him, you're going to have to pay him to see him. You're not seeing him for free. And plus, I think that he wanted to remain out of the limelight just with everything going on. Mm-hmm. You know, but he's smart. Like, the one thing about MJF is, yeah, he stays in heel character all the time, but there's a lot of truth in what he says, too. Mm-hmm. I think that he knew the business was going on. I knew if he was, or he knew if he was going out anywhere, people would be asking a million and one questions. Lay low. Yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, him coming back, he did say he got a, quote, stupid bump in pay, close quote. Well, this is without an extension. He may reiterate it. I didn't get an extension. Uh, he also reiterated, like, using the AW title as a bargaining chip once 2024 hits. Uh, he was speaking about the show uh, while he was gone. He said it had a void while he was gone, despite top talent such as Chris Jericho, Brian Danielson, and Brody King being there. Those are three names he mentioned specifically. Hmm. Uh, then the subject of Cody came up. He said uh, regarding Cody's departure, quote, Cody did what he had to do. Uh, and then he, this is what, he kind of went in and out of character and in, in, in himself. Uh, this one was clearly in character because he compared himself to Terry Funk in terms of draw. I could see that. Yeah. Uh, and then he was asked about Cody backstage uh, and how the mood backstage was. And he, and he said, quote, Cody, friends of Cody were sad to see him go, but people stepped up to the plate. Uh, he did give Cody credit for building the legacy of AEW. Uh, and then he said, uh, you know, AEW might be the fastest growing comp- wrestling company in the history of the business. Uh, he said the numbers they're hitting for pay-per-view buy rates and ratings are wild, despite the amount of cord cutting going on. And he credits that to people stepping up and chief among those himself. 
Yes, of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, he said Cody was in, uh, he, he was asked, what did you think about uh, Cody wrestling with the pectoral tear? Said he was, quote, incredibly brave for wrestling with that. And when asked if he would do it, quote, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, he he said he'd ask for his money, go in the ring, and lay down. He goes, hey, I technically competed. That's true. Yeah. Uh, at the time, uh, so then they brought up the infamous fire me, you fucking Mark. Oh, uh, the uh, dynamite promo. Yeah, well... The, he doesn't. He doesn't like the p word. Uh, I forget what he said. The audio, uh, something or other. He doesn't like to use the word promo. Gotcha. Uh, you'll have to check out the video to see what he said. I forget, it was really funny. I forget what he said. Uh, he said he was asked about it. You know, said at the time of uh, he felt calling Tony Khan a fucking mark was warranted. Their relationship wasn't good then. It is now. And what was the reason it changed? Money. Money. Uh, he said the issue wasn't how he was showcased, you know, wins, presentation, etc. He was on TV. He was winning. He was happy with that. Said the issue was money. He said, quote, I was looking to my left and my right, and I was hearing rumblings about what guys were making when I was two times, three times the draw, minute by minute. Again, I've said, I've seen the analytics, and I said, mm, that doesn't work for me, and I'm MJ freaking F pay up. Uh, and so... Ariel Hawani kind of asked for some specifics and, and uh, MJF said it wasn't, he asked about AEW guys. Oh, he's, it's not just AEW guys. He said it was guys in WWE impact ROH at the time were making more than he was. He wouldn't confirm he was making less than impact guys. He just said he saw what a lot of top guys were making across the board Except for New Japan, he called it a garbage promotion. Uh, he then went yeah, on. Yeah, he's to, not a fan of New Japan. He went on to a little bit of a tangent where he brought up the PWI 500 and about Okada being number two. Said he hasn't heard that guy's name since 2014. Yeah, see, all right, that one he might just be a heel for. Like I, because he was asked about Forbidden Door too, I think mm-hmm. at one point, and and he's always kind of brushed off. So like I say, I think the first half of that was legit. I think the second half of that was in character. Yeah, it, yeah. it's 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 something about that, but you know. I think going back to the money issue, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of truth there. Because uh-huh. I, th- I think what he is saying without saying it is he knows where he's, he draws to that show. And, oh, yeah. and he's that homegrown talent that we always talk about with AEW. That's the rallying base. That's why if you believe the numbers and you live and die by the ratings, mm-hmm. they had their second best week ever last week. Yep. And, oh, lo and behold, who wasn't on? The Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, and CM Punk. Yep. And it was featured with a lot of AEW talent. So yeah, there's a little smoke to that fire, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did go on and talk a little bit about uh, the PWI Top 500. Uh, he said he didn't see once he didn't see his name in the top five, he didn't look up where he was because, hey, if I'm not in the top five, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said they did they did a good job with the list. He understood the rankings and said, uh, I didn't, quote, I didn't compete with, he agreed with his ranking. Uh, he said, I did, quote, I didn't compete as much as some others did because I work smarter, not harder than a majority of professional wrestlers, if not all of them. Except for Sting. That guy's lazy. He wrestles once a year. That's true. Close quote. Uh, didn't He didn't agree with the New Japan guys being so high. He did, however, agree with Roman being number one because he said, quote, he's a stud, a total stud, and said he's a fan of Roman uh, and that uh, he watches as much wrestling as he can. So old WCW, WWF, you know, NWA, like any wrestling he can watch, he absolutely watches. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Like you can definitely tell he's a student of the game and he Mm -hmm. understands about who's generating the needle, who's making the money. And obviously with Roman Reigns, I mean, there's nobody that comes close. I'm sorry. Like you can try spinning all you want for anybody that's like CM Punk or Mm -hmm. Kenny Omega, whatever. I'm sorry. Roman is on a different level right now than than everybody else in the business. And, And MJF knows this because if he's smart, which... Clearly he is. Oh, yeah. 
he knows when he gets that contract open, he's got to get up to that level if he really wants to make some big bucks. Mm-hmm. He's going to go do that, and I guarantee you when he comes over to WWE, because I think, I, I'm sorry, at this stage, I just don't see him staying at AEW under any circumstance. I don't care that he's doing the nice PR thing now, but oh, I yeah. think he's being very honest about yeah, it. Yeah, he's doing the rounds today because of Grand Slam. Uh, he went on to say, because uh, Errol Helwani, you know, hey, if somebody wants to get into wrestling, what era should they, because he watches so much wrestling, what era should they watch? Uh, he said you should start right now is the best era for wrestling uh, because I'm, I'm on, in it. I'm on TV. Quote, I'm the greatest thing to happen in the history of this business, close quote. Perfect answer. Uh, he then claimed to be waiting on the Venmo for the interview and reminded him, uh, Ariel Helwani, he had a heart out on the interview. Uh, th- and he mentioned uh, this is the first interview he'd done since he'd come back. So he hasn't done any other interviews for any outside AEW uh, ve- uh, people, but uh, Ariel Hwani and the MMA are were the very first one. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, and then regarding the pop for his return, uh, he said, quote, my ears were bleeding. Uh, it said that he expected the pop because, quote, I'm a god to these people. If I'm the devil, these people are devil worshipers. Close quote. I mean... There is some truth to that. I mean, in a weird sense, because if, if you're not familiar with MJF, yeah, he's considered the uh, the anti uh, uh-huh. hero, so to speak. And yeah, I mean, he's he's not wrong because the AEW faithful, you know, and rightfully so. I mean, he's that good. So that was, I guess, you could say the appetizer. Here comes the main course. Oh boy! Because then we get to the all out press conference. Oh, gee. Okay, this is interesting. Uh, He said he won't comment on the all-out press conference. All he can say is he does not deal in rumors or innuendo. Uh, And he was asked why he can't comment because, hey, I I don't want to comment because I don't want to. He said, quote, because here's the facts. There was a lot of things said. It doesn't apply to me. It doesn't concern me. And again, I'll tell you why. And again, I'll use numbers because numbers don't lie. Numbers are facts and facts don't care about your feelings. When MJF goes out there, I pop a huge number. We just killed it in the ratings, second week in a row. And again, if people leave, come, go, stay, people are going to step up to the plate. We've got massive stars in our company, so I am not concerned in the least. I am not going to comment on what was said because it doesn't apply to me. But what I will say is our company is, I mean, again, numbers don't lie. Our company is great now. We're about to have an incredible show at Arthur Ashe, massive Madge, if you will, Madge show at Arthur Ashe. We're going to have a huge dynamite. We're going to pop. We're going to have a huge rampage. A new AEW champion is going to be crowned. Your boy MJF is going to wait, uh, be waiting in the wings. Do I cash in that chip? Do I not cash in that chip? Who's to say? There's a lot of interesting stuff going on with a lot of massive stars in our company. So I choose to be focus on that close quote. Smart answer. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he's not going to say anything that's going to get himself incriminated in any way, way nope. shape, or form. Uh, Ariel then brought up what a lot of folks felt that the backstage drama took away from his return. When I asked MJF, goes, are you crazy? Quote, did you hear the reaction the following dynamite? Did it sound like it took away from the return of MJF? Close quote. That's a good point. You know, to think about it. I mean, well, I think at that stage... Everybody was ready to get away from it. Mm-hmm. And I think putting him out there because every, everybody knew he had something to say. Because we got to remember, he had been off TV for months. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time we were really going to hear him talk. So everybody's excited to hear him talk. So yeah. I think there's a little truth to that. I don't think it's like the full truth, but I think there is some truth. Uh, and then he, and because Ariel brought up what people were saying online, uh, Ariel or MGF said, listen, the marks, online marks are going to tweet what they think is right and what they want to deem is accurate. And as soon as they're wrong, they won't. They won't ever correct themselves. They'll just sit there in silence. 
Oh my god, we need to get that sound clip for uh, 607TWS. Mm-hmm. I need that. Oh my god, that's so fucking fact. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He then compared himself to Andre the Giant in that he's an attraction. Uh, <laughs> do each their own. Uh, he said, quote, my job is not to prove people right or wrong. My job is to be me because when I step through that curtain, no one's comparing. There is no comparison. There can't be. Close quote. Yeah, he's one of a kind. I'll give him that. Uh, this one I thought would be interesting for you. Uh, he said uh, Ariel brought up his uh, his own feelings about how, to him, it felt like the inmates were running the asylum. Oh, my God. Somebody's listening to this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, MJF simply said, I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, close quote. Uh, they then went into the whole uh, Ariel brought up the, oh, they're wrestlers, but can they be v- uh, VPs? Uh, specifically with the Young Bucks and, mm. then, and then Cody and all that. Uh, MJF did say, quote, I think that goes out the wayside because what there is at AEW, and to be honest, I'm not a part of that of the team, but I watch from the sidelines and I give them a little rah-rah because what I care about is me at the end of the day. But when I watch the locker room and I watch the boys and I see how they react to certain situations, it's a team atmosphere. Everybody wants these three letters to be successful. The only three letters I care about are MJF. But everyone at AEW cares about AEW letters. And I think it's palpable when you watch our show. I think you can feel it. You can feel the, uh, the, that when people go out there, they're giving 110%. Because they want to not just raise themselves up, but raise this brand new baby up like in the Lion King on top of the, on top of the rock. And you feel that. It's palpable. So no, I read on I read stuff online. I chuckle. It's ridiculous. Everyone wants to this place to be successful. MJF wants MJF to be successful, but the locker room wants AEW to be successful. It's a team atmosphere. Close quote. Okay. Uh, one. Thank you for listening to the show, Ariel, or whoever whoever gave him that question. I, we appreciate you. We can definitely mail you some stickers if you want. DM us. We'll we'll take care of that. I uh, I think that he is right about that. Because I th- I think, and it's not, okay, well, take away the character. Yeah, he's worried about his own brand. Mm-hmm. He's worried about himself. And I think that he's right about what he said about the the VPs. Because I think that does, that that is a distraction. Like, no matter how you want to say it, if you're supposed to be wrestling the vice president of your company, obviously there's going to be a little friction there. No matter, like, mm-hmm. no matter how you want to try to spin it. But I do think that there are some people, and I think that he took the right stance, I think there are there's a lot of people in that locker room that want to make AEW the best, mm-hmm. and you can tell who they are. You can definitely tell who is hashtag I'm with AEW in the promos. Oh, yeah. You can hear it in the voice of John Moxley. You can hear it in the voice of Eddie Kingston. You can hear it in the voice of Chris Jericho. Mm-hmm. When you have that kind of passion that comes through the mic, they definitely give a shit, and that's something that that locker room sorely needs. Yep. So I, I can see him that, and I can see him that he's just like, yeah. I see other people doing that, but he's in it for him. And you know what? I don't fault him on that. Well, uh, then we got into a little bit of sports here briefly because Ariel Hawani, noted Buffalo Bills fan, did, yes. did rag on MJF for what he did to the Buffalo Bills uh, when they were in uh, Buffalo. Of course. Uh, MJF countered with, quote, how many Super Bowls have they won? Ariel then uh, replied, ask again in February. Uh, then I'd ask, like, hey, well, what are you a fan of? Because he's from New York, you know, and all that. He's probably a Giants fan. He is indeed a Giants fan. Oh, that explains uh, so much. And Ariel said, well, you, I thought, really? I thought you looked like a Jets fan. He's like, Yo, no, I'm a Giants fan. Uh, he said he was raised a Giants fan by his father. And so Ariel goes, well, what are you, a Giants-Yankees fan? No, he's a Giants-Mets fan. Uh, said he doesn't really watch other pro sports because there's really nothing for him to utilize in his own craft. Uh, and then we get to, to the alleged brawl. Wait, before we go on that, what if he came out to Narco? 
oh at, at, at AEW Grand Slam. Oh, that'd be amazing. I know people from AEW. Listen, listen. Put that in the put in the energy. You hit Narco, he comes walking out to cash in that chip. Thank you very much. Send us some swag. Continue. Uh, then Ariel asks, "Quote: Did you see the alleged brawl backstage at All Out?" Well, he Close ain't gonna quote. say. MJF quote: I do not deal in rumor or in innuendo. No comment. Yep. Close quote. He was asked about the morale backstage before and after the brawl, and said it's the same. It's a team atmosphere. Yeah. I want to say corporate answer, but yeah, that makes sense. Uh, he did say, quote, I, uh, he expanded on it and said, quote, I don't deal in rumor and innuendo, but let's talk high school, right? We're in the cafeteria. Two kids have a disagreement at the other table. Does everyone go, ugh, now I can't finish my meal. It, now, it's over. No, we eat it up. We eat it and go, hmm, okay, and we move on. Close quote. Well put. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what there, that, that reads to me? We're getting back to business. We ain't yeah. talking about this anymore. Ariel Helani then asked, does AEW need CM Punk? <laughs> I can't wait to hear this one. MJF, quote, no comment. What I will say is me and CM Punk had the greatest feud in the history of this company. And I honestly do think it'll go down as one of the greatest feuds of all time. Close quote. Greatest feud in the company. Yes. Greatest of all time. To be determined. Mm -hmm. To be determined. Uh, he was then asked why he's not in the tournament, uh, and he said simply, because, well, I got the chip. Yeah. Work smarter, not harder. Uh, Ariel then brought up using the chip a la the Money in the Bank briefcase because we're, we're not quite clear on those subjects. It's, you know, hey, you use it in this moment, use it in that moment. Uh, MJF just kind of kept shrugging every time uh, Ariel brought up a uh, scenario, but he did so with a smirk. Uh, and at the end, once Ariel was done giving scenarios, he looked at him and said, well, maybe. Then we get to the por uh, promo he had, what was it, like last week, where he brought up St. Nick Khan yep. and all that. Uh, he said he's never met, uh, never spoken to Triple H or Nick Khan, uh, but he has spoken to Bruce Pritchard uh, multiple times during their time at MLW. Okay, uh, that makes And he said, sense. said they've stayed in contact ever since. He gave a great, I love you, uh, as brother love. And he said, quote, it's a business at the end of the day, but you make friends along the way. Uh, close quote. He then also gave a little bit of a shout out to MLW and said they are a great breeding ground for up up and coming talent not wrong about that mm -hmm. uh, not wrong at any point there i mean obviously he makes friends along the way i mean the wrestling business you do connect the word but it's like anywhere in life you make connections like christ look at what we do with podcasting mm -hmm. and how we're all over shout out to all our patrons and of course parlay club around the world yeah but i think he's i think he's right about that and i, and I definitely want to say this too he is very right about mlw mm -hmm. uh, and then we get to, to vincent kennedy mcmahon retiring he was asked about his reaction to Vince retiring, and there was a noted pause. There was a not a super long pause. There was a there was a pause, and he said, "quote That's a tough one." So he's left a gigantic legacy in the history of the business, and there's a lot of stuff that came out. We don't know what's real. We don't know what's fake. I think it's all still under investigation. But all I can say is I grew up watching the guy, and I think he's tremendously talented. Close quote. Perfect answer. Uh, yep. Yeah. And then Ariel asked, uh, would you agree, quote, would you agree with the statement that their product is infinitely better since his departure? MGF said, I do. I think it's great. Well, yeah. 
and I think he I think he knows the temp in the room. And it, what's he going to say? Oh, it's crap. And then when he goes over to try to get a contract, like why would you come mm-hmm. over here if you think it's crap? He's yeah. answering everything perfect as he needs to from a PR standpoint. This uh, makes sense. Yeah, and then uh, that kind of led to a little bit of a quote from him about competition breeding success because, you know, Ariel brought up, hey, I always say that about, you know, MMA. It's always better to have more MMA federations because then you can go and you can get better pay, better uh, rights and all this other stuff. Uh, MJF did say, quote, you don't want a monopoly in any industry unless you're the one in charge of the monopoly, but you don't want a monopoly in professional wrestling. You want a place so I can do what I'm doing, which is allow myself to get the best possible deal. If you love professional wrestling, then you want all elite wrestling to succeed. You do, because if AEW isn't succeeding, then there's only one show in town. And if there's only one show in town, then the talent you care about most aren't going to be treated properly. And there's not going to be able to get uh, the most amount of money and the most amount of proper treatment they could possibly get, as opposed to being able to say, hey, if you don't treat me well, I can go over here. Wait, wait, wait. Now you you get what you deserve. Close quote. Hmm. Interesting take. Uh, then uh, Tony Khan backstage and freaking out about Vince McMahon uh, in the two premium live events uh, surrounding All Out got brought up. Uh, MJF said, quote, Tony Khan felt personally attacked uh, at that point, and you can't blame him. WWE, once they found out AEW was doing a pay-per-view at this time period, magically there's two pay-per-views sandwiched. And again, totally understandable, dude. If I was on the other side of the fence, I would be doing five pay-per-views on the same day, but I'm a scumbag. So his back was against the wall, but he still hit a home run, close quote. Hmm. To which I would say, okay, but WWE announced this like a year ago. Yeah, are you saving face for the company in my yep. opinion? Okay. Uh, he said, uh, quote, nobody should be worried about AEW. We're number one and two in cable every single Wednesday night. I know for a fact Warner Brothers Discovery is over the moon that MJF is back. So if you're an AEW fan, don't be worried about AEW. But what I'll also say is this, if you're a WWE fan and there's a part of you that's like, this AEW thing is stupid, it's stupid. Again, what you're saying then is talent doesn't matter because if there's one show in town, we're all kind of screwed. Well said. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ariel then brought up, who do you think is the most underrated guy in the business right now? Brought up two names, Ethan Page and Stokely Hathaway. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, Ethan Page, yes. Stokely, Stokely, we know Stokely just has to get the right uh, storyline going. But yeah, no, but Ethan Page, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he was asked who the most overrated guy is right now. And he said, Moxley. Uh, said, quote, he's definitely a star, but he's not the guy you think he is, uh, close quote. Uh, he said he's presenting himself, uh, presenting a version of himself that is neat, but, quote, deep down, I don't think it's him. I think he's still that scared little boy from the slums of Cincinnati, uh, close quote. That, uh, And then he said uh, he, that people are buying wolf tickets when it comes to Moxley. Quote, great wrestler, great on the microphone, but I don't think he's who he's proclaiming to be, close quote. I think it might be more storyline based than anything. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what, what's he gonna? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough position because you know what? I he's staying in character for the most part, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't agree with that one with him. I'm gonna say that's a that's a storyline one. And then we get to Sheamus. Oh, because they had a Twitter beef. They did, which Ariel Hawani did not see the initial tweet because I guess Seamus has since deleted what he said initially. Smart move by him. Uh, but MGF said, quote, Seamus, he took a shot at the devil and he lost. Uh, and he lo- And the last thing you want to do is that because I'll throw a pitchfork right at your throat. Close quote. Not wrong. 
Yeah. Not wrong indeed. Nope. Seamus, Seamus took the L on that one. Yes, he did. Uh, and he did. And MJF said, listen, you even proved my point further by trying to say first you were talking. You, oh, you weren't talking about me. You were talking about Chris Jericho in 2016. And then you, and then you, then you brought up someone else. So you just proved my point even further. Uh, Ariel did ask if he started because Ariel brought up uh, his deal with ESPN was up in 2020. Uh, and that about a year out, he was sure looking around at other deals. And uh, Ariel said, Hey, listen, you know, we're you know, two and a half, almost three months out from your one year away from your deal uh, being empty. Have you already started looking at other places? And uh, MJF said, quote, who's to, who's to say I haven't already mm-hmm. close quote. Uh, he said, and you know, Ariel brought up, Hey, maybe you're thinking, and he goes, I think you're a loyalty guy. And MJF kind of looked at him and goes, really? Yeah, that's funny. MJF, he brought up a situation scenario like, hey, you know what? Maybe I'll stick with these guys. They gave me a chance when nobody else would. MJF made it crystal clear. Money means more to him than loyalty. Uh, quote, he said, look, quote, if I stay, you will know I was paid a grotesque amount of money. Close quote. He said he will go to whatever company offers up the most money except for New Japan. Yeah. Uh, basically what he's saying is, no, I'm going to the highest bidder. There's no, I, I fully believe that with him. There's no question about that. Uh, when asked if he has a number in mind for what he'd like to be paid, he said, yeah, wouldn't say what it was. Uh, he said right now he could retire in his mid to early thirties and be, and be comfortable, but he wants to make enough money where his great, great, great grandkids are set up. He brought up this whole scenario that like earth is no longer livable. You know, all you got to buy a ticket to get off of earth and get onto Mars. Cause Mars is now terraformed. Thanks Tesla. You know, and, and but you got to pay a, a dollar amount or pay for a ticket to get on. He's like, I want my great, great grandkids to be first class on that flight out of here. Uh, so that's his reasoning with that. Uh, did get into a little bit of MMA, said he likes Nate Diaz. Uh, Con- he said Connor has fallen off a bit. He finds Patty the Batty entertaining. Yeah. Uh, and he said DC was cool. Uh, he did call MMA, uh, said MMA was fixed and phony, uh, but that pro wrestling was straightforward. <laughs> Of course. Yeah, of course. course. Uh, and then lastly, of note, uh, he did say that there would be no UFC without pro wrestling. Nowadays, yes. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, 100% yes. I got to yes. admit that because you need to be a larger life character to get pushed in the UFC, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess, Pat, overall, like, what's your thoughts on that interview? Long interview. Uh, I transcribed all of that. I wasn't reading off of an article. That was that was me typing. That on was my... 100% Pat, so kudos to you that for was, that. I thought it was a very interesting interview. It was fun to kind of try and peel apart the tea leaves and sort through things and, and figure out, all right, what's in character, what's not. I think there was a lot of interesting stuff there. I know a lot of folks, you know, he said, oh, I didn't sign an extension. A lot of folks are running with, oh, it's because you already signed a new contract. No, definitely not. No, you don't think AEW would be shouting that from the rooftops right now? You, the press release would have been the most epic thing you've ever read they, in your they, life. They would have quashed that right now if he'd already signed a contract. I do think he got a bump in pay because, hey, he's no idiot. But in terms of, oh, he signed a new contract already? No, I don't think that's the case. In my opinion, I think he got a definitive amount of money. Yeah, he did. To come back and finish his contract out. I think that he definitely had Tony over the ledge, mm-hmm. so to speak. He and, had him by the balls. Yeah, and he basically said, this is what you're going to pay me to come back. And he knew that he could generate that buzz because love him or hate him, like he he is that needle mover that AEW sorely needs and they need to capitalize on more. And, and go to a quote he had later in the interview where, you know, he said he's already got enough money to retire by his early to mid-30s. He's 26. You know, so th- this is a guy that clearly, if, if that statement is true, that he's got enough money to retire, you know, in, lo- in about five years or so, he don't need AEW. He's already got enough money. He's good. 
Well, that's what he's saying is, yeah, he if he wanted to, sure. But I think what he's also saying is, if you're going to keep me, you're going to have to pay me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, and I'll, I'll be honest, I don't think they're going to be able to afford him. Because that's the thing he brought up too is, hey, whoever signs me, I can be a top guy, not for just a few years. I'm only 26. I can be a top guy for decades. Yeah, he's going to be the next Miz. Yeah. Like, I know the comparison's out there, but listen, look at what he does in the ring right now. Yeah. If AEW is going to be around for a long time, and I hope they are, do not take any of my AEW knocks as I want to see this company fail. I want to see them succeed, but every time that they, in my opinion, get momentum going, something fucks up. Mm-hmm. Always happens. They need to keep him there. But is Tony going to pay him that much money? That's the big X factor. I don't know. I don't think he's going to because I think what he's going to do is he's going to go in there and go, okay, Tony, I want this much money. I don't. I don't think he's going to be able to do it because we got to remember a couple things. You know, thinking with with WWE specifically because I think it's between WWE and AEW. Listen, no disrespect to Impact, but if Impact wanted to get a uh, MJF, start the GoFundMe now. Yeah, it ain't gonna happen. That ain't gonna happen. The thing we got to remember with with WWE is they're about to get a huge influx of cash because their TV contract for both Raw and SmackDown are coming up. Mm-hmm. You know, and as Rich mentioned on six hundred seven TWS this week, you know. NBC Universal is already talking in the the neighborhood of like ten billion dollars yeah. for both Raw and SmackDown to be back on their programming. Lord knows what Fox or Amazon or Disney or any of the other potential suitors are willing to pony up. So they're going to get a money influx there. Mm-hmm. You've also got the ongoing saga that's going on with Hulu, where at the end of the week, unless so, for those of you who don't know, since 2012, Hulu has been the exclusive next day partner, I guess you could say, yeah. for WWE programming, where Raw airs on uh, USA Network on Monday. Tuesday, you get, admittedly, an abbreviated version. You know, same for SmackDown, same for NXT. You know, all the WWE-produced stuff is on Hulu the next day. Well, that deal is up on Saturday. Mm. So you go on to any WWE stuff uh, that's on Hulu right now, there's an expires in however many days thing currently on on Hulu. Yeah. So you got to figure that and that deal was made in 2012. Well, things have changed a little bit business wise for them in the last 10 years. So that dollar, whatever they paid, that dollar amount's about to go up. So they're going to get, you know, a couple billion dollar influx in cash from the TV deals. They're going to get a probably a couple million dollar bump in cash from this deal with Hulu or whoever gets the rights for the next day stuff. Mm hmm they're about to have a lot of money they can throw MJF's way. And, you know, they're definitely going to make that happen. I thought that interview, though, was great by Ariel Hawani. He asked some questions. I mean, mean, MJF was not going to incriminate himself in any way, shape, or form. And what I I mean by that, he's not going to tip off anything that's going on. He is going to definitely play this close to the vest because, obviously, he's connected to that whole, you know, drama that's going on backstage at All Out. He's definitely being the smart businessman about this i applaud him for it i thought he gave away a lot of stuff as well too i thought it was very interesting and i think that moving forward it's going to be must watch tv come up this mm-hmm. Wednesday. As, as much as the AEW haters don't want to do it listen grand slam is going to definitely buzz some headlines because with mjf being in his home turf i don't doubt him catching he, it he did not rule it out so that said Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. We gave you a lot of AEW talk, but we definitely want to have that conversation. I know there's a lot of AEW fans that listen to this show, so let's hit, let's talk about this. MJF's interview with Ariel Hawani, what did you think about it? Let's talk about that. How about War Games coming back to the WWE main roster? And Logan Paul taking on Roman Reigns. 
We gave you a lot of pro wrestling, folks, so let's have that discussion. If you even want more content, check out the latest 607 TWS, the wrestling show on your favorite podcast provider, and keep an eye out for blogs count anywhere under odphpodcast.com's Parlay Points section. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideman Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna... Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pat, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, the first of which is the local minute. Uh, looking at the Binghamton Roma Ponies in their final uh, season, final series of the year, uh, they were playing the Hartford Yard Goats at home. Uh, they lost the double, so the game on Tuesday was uh, canceled because the, the ground was absolutely soaked. Uh, they played a doubleheader on Wednesday where they lost both of those games. First game by the final score of six to two. Second game by the final score of four to three. Uh, then they came back on Thursday, won by the final score of ten to nine. One on Friday by the final score of six to nothing, lost on Saturday by the final score of seven to nothing, and then lost on Sunday by the final score of eight to four. Closing out your season, I do not believe the team is making the playoffs this year, so that does effectively end uh, the season for the Rumble Ponies. They will be back next year, obviously, uh, and then right around the corner, uh, you got a hockey season starting up, so we'll get ready for that soon. Yeah, preseason hockey is definitely on the way, but you know the Rumble Ponies. Heck of a season, uh, obviously not the way they wanted it to go, but still no. a fun time to get down to the stadium whenever we can. And then uh, switching over to some MMA news, uh, one of the all-time greats is saying uh, it's over and done with. Reading from an article on ESPN.com, says, quote, Former longtime UFC and WEC featherweight champion Jose Aldo, 36 years old, has retired from the UFC, his team told ESPN on Sunday. The promotion also announced Aldo's retirement in a tweet Sunday evening that read in part, quote, Congratulations, Jose Aldo, on a legendary run, close quote. Aldo requested, uh, requested and was granted a release from his UFC contract. His coach and manager, uh, Andre uh, Parandinaris, told ESPN, The UFC has yet to comment on Aldo's contract status. Aldo's retirement alone uh, would not get him out of his UFC contract, which would be frozen in that instance. The legendary fighter has been removed from the UFC's external official rankings, signifying he is no longer on the active roster. Provided he was released from his contract, he would be free to compete for other promotions or in other combat sports like boxing, which he has always expressed an interest in, close quote. So he does finish his uh, professional UFC UFC and professional fighting career, 39 professional matches, 31 wins, 8 losses, 17 wins by knockout, 1 by submission, 12, uh, 13 by decision. That's wild. He says he wants to go to boxing. I just I can't see him going there. His striking was always his leg kicks, not so much mm-hmm. his hands. But you have to give him his due. Uh, obviously, a Hall of Fame career. Absolutely. And considering what he did for the featherweight division, and obviously a lot of stuff he did in the WEC and then came over to the UFC and continued that success. At one point, he was the pound-for-pound pound best fighter on the planet. No, Absolutely. No question about that. Obviously, him and Conor McGregor's feud was the one that ignited Conor to superstar status. Uh-huh. And then Jose has just kind of buzzed around since then. Obviously, I always thought he should have moved up to lightweight. I always had a problem with him yeah. staying around featherweight because he's, it, it looked like a tough weight cut. And he was somebody that if you could take him to deep rounds, you might have had a shot to get him. But, man, those leg kicks are absolutely devastating. If you want to see something horrific, go Google search uh, him and Uriah Faber's fight. Mm. And Uriah's legs during that fight and maybe the day after you can find those pictures up. Absolutely horrific. But, listen, a legendary career. 
Almost thought he was going to pull it off for the Bantamweight title, but it didn't happen. So good luck on your future endeavors, sir. So for my one shot, uh, we're going to talk a little boxing because I have to. It pains me to say it to a degree. Uh-huh. But this past weekend was Canelo Alvarez and Triple G number three and Canelo one in dominating fashion. Unanimous decision. Uh, two judges had it uh, 115 to 113 and one had 116 to 112, according to ESPN.com. Listen, this is a fight that I thought we should not have a trilogy of. Triple G won the first one. You can't tell me otherwise. Second one is debatable, but the fact they want to end it with a third one is going to be, you know, like there's not going to be a fourth one. Like, I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen. And Triple G went out. This might be the end for him. I don't mm. know him. He's on that side of 40. Yeah. So it's hard to say what he's going to do. Canelo uh, obviously is still in that pound for pound talk. Uh, he's going to be hanging around for a little bit, but I'm just happy that we saw this in their primes. Mm-hmm. And with Triple G, I mean, obviously he's on the back end and it kind of looked in that in this fight. So. I'm not sure. I think maybe I'll get one more and probably get a win before he bounces out, but we'll have to wait and see about that. But if he ends on this note, there's no shame in that either. Like He had a legendary career. He can definitely run with that if he wants to. And for Canelo, I mean, we wait and see. I mean, there's still a lot of fight left in him. I just don't know where we're going to go from there. Mm-hmm. So that being said, Pad, the music you heard on this edition of the podcast is that of Brian Wolf. Uh, as far as I know, Brian doesn't box. Brian doesn't do MMA. Brian plays guitar. But if I want to find more about Brian, where do I go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right, because you can hear how amped I am because when I stutter my words, you know I'm excited to talk about it because he does fantastic music, such as Shot of the Robots, such as Second Suitor, such as Tom Jolu, Yard Party, Floodlands, the list goes on and on. Go click the music section of the podcast page, and you can find out your new favorite band today. Also, while you're at the website, check out the patron section. Shout out to all our amazing patrons. Got stuff coming in the works. I've been a little busy, preoccupied. Maybe I'll put in the blog what's going on. But with New York Comic Con coming up, there's a lot of stuff that's moving on with us. But we cannot thank you enough for the support. One tier, $2, and a whole lot of content is coming, rest assured. Also, at the website, check out the classified section, which says friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast. So, you know, there are guys, they do amazing content. You want to find all about them? You can go check that out. Go check out Dragon Master Games. They're doing fantastic stuff down there. If you need local gaming needs, if you're even outside the 607 and you need gaming needs, go hit them up. They do fantastic stuff, too. Also, on the classified section, organizational links support Black Lives Matter. Voter registration. There has been never a more important time than right now to make sure you're all set to vote in November. We got the links up there. Do what you need to do. Also... The directory. Pat, how many providers are we on? Uh, 919,000. Sounds about right to me. And if we're not on your favorite podcast provider, let us know where you're listening to us from and how you're getting us. And if we're not on there, we'll see about making that happen for you. We have links on there so you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Good Pods, Google Podcasts. If we're not on your favorite player, like seriously, tell us where you're listening and we'll try getting it on there for you. So you can hit follow, you can hit subscribe, you can drop that five-star review because it does help the brand. All of that, the T Public Store Link is on the front page. Like I said, rumor has a sales coming on pretty soon. So if you want to get that ODPH swag, it's the perfect time to get it. For anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can be found at ODPHpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one only Padawanche, fuck the Astros. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. Thank you.